You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 516. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 6th of April, 2022. In today's episode, another British Airways computer glitch causes delays at Heathrow. A British Airways pilot in jail for lying on his resume. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale don't upset the jet too. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 516 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger Stern. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA. And joining us today from her lakeside studio in South Dr. Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper. It's Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is so great to be here with you guys. Really looking forward to the show today. I know we've got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Very nice. We look forward to it as well. And also joining us from his studio. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Pull up. up. Yes, immediately. Uh, (laughs) Lovely to see you again, Jeff, and everybody else. Uh, Steph said it. Looking forward to a great show. It's going to be fun tonight. Excellent. And also joining us... From his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry, it's Nick Camacho Macho Man. (laughs) Hey guys, thanks Jeff, glad to be uh, back with you again. Yeah, good to have you as well, and last but certainly not least, from her home studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. I'm looking forward to a good show, too. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. I'll, I'll try not to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wouldn't be too optimistic out there, if you know what I mean. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about some uh, aviation-related news. Stop. 
stand by for news. Hey, let's start off with the first item in the news notebook. It is, uh, let's see, from uh, simpleflying.com. Hmm. Uh, delays at Heathrow as British Airways faces another IT meltdown. Uh, the airline has resolved a technical issue that caused delays and flight cancellations today. For, I don't know what day that was. It must have been yesterday from London Heathrow Airport. No, I think it was last week. It's about four or five days ago. Oh, okay. Well, a while back. Um, I'm assuming things are kind of back to normal again. I don't know. Well, it was a, a pretty bad outage, and they they had basically uh, an entire day of cancellations, more or less, from Heathrow. So they hardly uh, turned a wheel all day, Jeff. It was a bit of a nightmare for them. Well, it says here that significant significant delays and cancellations meant passengers flying into London on British Airways uh, as the airline recovered from technical issues, it says today, but a few days back. Uh, the technical outage was the <laughs> having trouble with my words again. The technical outage was the second one for the British flag carrier in less than a month. Uh, they saw over 40 flights into London Heathrow canceled uh, as the airline struggled with a temporary technical technical issue. I'm experiencing a temporary technical issue with my mouth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you want to go and put some more batteries uh, in there? Yeah. Uh, I'll certainly take over, Why Jeff, don't you do that? Giving you a make problem. some sense of this. So, yeah, <laughs> it's the second outage uh, the carrier in a month. Um, in February, they had a big problem when uh, their IT systems became inaccessible, uh, and they uh, ca canceled a whole heap of um, flights. The airline's website, mobile apps, all went down. And so passengers were left with really very few avenues of um, communication with the airline to try and find out what was going on. And, of course, that usually means that the telephone lines, because that's one of the few ways to get hold of anyone, become completely jammed. Uh, and um, it, it's becoming a bit of a an issue for BA because um, last year uh, and a couple of years ago, they had similar major outages uh, and it seems they haven't really grasped the nettle and got their IT problems all resolved. Um, it's a sort of ca carried on, uh, although this initial issue occurred several days ago. It's carried on because um, for the past week, BA have been cancelling up to 100 flights a day. And in addition to, um, uh, it's rumoured to uh, reduce their um, passenger load uh, on many routes, they have uh, hiked their prices for routes uh, by uh, several times their normal cost. Um, and the, the newspapers are suggesting that uh, this might be to just relieve pressure on a very unreliable IT system until it's fully up and running again. Although more recent reports say that uh, BA are blaming COVID illness amongst their employees uh, for the uh, as the reason for cancellations. Not everyone is uh, in agreement with that. Uh, so they think there might be you know, pulling a bit of a fast one, using a bit of an excuse. But uh, I think certainly, uh, you know, they, no they way. have... People don't use COVID <laughs> as an excuse. No, nah, never done for that. For things? 
Exactly. So <laughs> and I think it's just uh, it highlights that they've got quite a fragile IT system, uh, like a lot of airlines, to be truthful, because they've grown up and their IT system, the basic core of their IT system is often pretty ancient, uh, based on old computers and using uh, very old-fashioned software. And uh, very few airlines have uh, managed to uh, streamline that and get it up uh, and running, partly because of the entire booking system for most airlines is um, pretty archaic. And, uh, you know, you, you need to kind of stop flying for a couple of weeks, probably everybody, while you install a new one and then get it all going again. But uh, anyway, that's been BA's woes. I'm sure our friend Nev, who uh, um, is on PTUK, has been tearing his hair out because you know how he loves his BA flights. And he hasn't what, been Nev? able to get in I seat think, 1A I think Nev very has often. probably <laughs> never been affected by this because they just look at any <laughs> flight that Nev is on and they're like, we can't cancel that one. So, yeah. No, yeah. that's probably true, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do like uh, Neil uh, Landwarm in our live audience. Uh, he says, you could say they are barely aviating, you know, the BA. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, when you're trying to recover from the pandemic and all the losses that the airlines have made, this is really not the time to find out that your uh, oh, Windows, uh, whatever IT system they have, is uh, not working well and you'd think uh, because in you say a year ago they were probably hardly flying if th that would be the time to say all right you know we we don't really need the uh, online system to be working particularly well now let's upgrade it now when nothing's happening <laughs> so right but apparently they are still having problems hmm yeah as you say uh, they are not the only airline out there that has experienced IT issues in the last several years. So, Yeah, I, it has such a vast impact because airlines now rely on it so much for mm -hmm. Too much. Uh, passengers with their apps. Yeah, exactly. Pa passengers booking online, passengers booking through a remote system and uh, Steph's waving a bit of paper, which I'm sure has something I to do with... I just printed a boarding pass on paper. I can't remember the last time I did this, but yay. So that's pretty low-tech <laughs> Paper tomorrow. Printer? I know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. crazy. I know. Exactly. So mm. if you're going to adopt an entirely paperless system, then you need to make sure it's robust because, you know, when the system goes down, everything grinds to a halt. Yep. I do remember um, when I was first hired by Acme back in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, they were starting to introduce a lot of automation via computers, but every base we went to, and we pilots also were trained on how to do calculations, manual calculations for you know the weight and balance data and all the other stuff. And all the stations had qualified people that knew how to do it as well, so that if a computer went down, no problem. You know, they knew how to do it, but... I guess over the years they decided that, well, the computer never goes down. So we don't need to train people how to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's one of the, that's one of the challenges of it is that, you know, it's hard to justify, it's hard to justify spending money on it. Right. Until it's too late. Like now you can look at it and be like, man, we sure need to spend some money on this to fix this like giant problem we have. But until it's a giant problem, it's hard to go to like a, senior level person in a company, right? And say, oh, we could spend X amount of dollars upgrading our IT system, which will, in theory, not really, uh, 
not really impact us very positively. It'll just continue to allow us to operate status quo. In reality, right, you do gain a little bit of efficiency probably. Or we could go spend that money on buying like some new airplanes and increase our passenger loads or do whatever. And it's uh, it's always easier to make that justification until you have one of these like Armageddon situations, right? Right. Mm. Absolutely. Oh, well, well, hopefully they'll get that all worked out sometime soon so that we don't have these. <laughs> Neville sort them out. He'll, yeah. he'll write them a stern letter. I'm sure they've already contacted Nev because they just realize he'll have the solution. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. All right. Uh, next item, um, staying over there uh, in the UK. This is from thetimes.co.uk. Uh, a British Airways pilot was jailed for lying on his CV to land a job. Uh, the fraudster found out after, quote, Pressing a button no pilot would press. I'm was it the self-destruct sure. button? I don't know. What on that, the airplane? I, 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 is I that said the, the James Bond flush car? button? Yeah. The, hit yeah. the eject button in the uh, James Bond car? <laughs> what, which, yeah. what, what do you think it is, Nick? Uh, the toilet flush button, probably. Uh, okay. Uh, what, a pilot would never push that? <laughs> No. Well, no, you never know what's going to happen if you push the wrong button. And you've got to double check. You should have the other pilot in there to uh, make sure that you're, you know, I'm going to mm. press this button. Is this okay? Yep, that's fine. That's the right button. Well, uh, yeah. British Airways check. said that Craig Butfoy, <laughs> who oh, lied about his flying experience on a job application, application, presented no risk to customers. A pilot lied about his flying experience to get a job at British Airways, but was found out when he pressed a button that no qualified pilot would, a source told the Times. Uh, just a, a, a spoiler here. Well, no, I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, Craig uh, Butfoy, probably mispronouncing that, uh, 49 years old, was jailed. I don't know. What is it? No, I have no idea. Okay. I was just coming up with alternative uh, pronunciations for you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> was jailed. This week for lying about lying about his level of flying experience to get a job. He worked for BA City Flyer, a British Airways subsidiary, and Stobart Air, a former Aer Lingus subsidiary, between April 2016 and March 2018, spending about a year at each airline. It is understood that he had previously worked for a company called Hangar 8 Management in the mid-2000s. The company operates the same Embraer 190 jets as BA City Flyer, and it was documents relating to his time there that were doctored to enhance his flying time. He obtained the pilot jobs after entering false details and altered on, uh, entries in his first logbook, so it appeared that he was more experienced than he was, a Snaresbrook Crown Court in northeast London was told. Buttboy of Matfield, Kent was jailed for 12 months after pleading guilty to four charges of fraud and two breaches of the Air Navigation Order 2016. Sources told the Times that BA City Flyer bosses became concerned about Buttfoy after an incident in Switzerland where he, here we go again, pressed a button on the ground that no qualified pilot would do and launched an investigation. The airline carried out its own internal investigation before referring the case to the Civil Aviation Authority. It was then investigators started to look into it uh, that it became clear that there was far more to the case and that CAA, the CAA needed to take it extre extremely seriously. Jonathan Spence, a general counsel at the Civil Aviation Authority, said that the CAA's prosecution 
and the sentence imposed show that offenses of this kind are taken very seriously by the regulator and the courts. Pilot integrity is at the heart of aviation safety, and we will take all steps necessary to maintain that position. He, uh, Buttboy, falsely claimed to have flown 1,610 hours as a captain in a job application submitted to BA City Flyer, which operates out of London City Airport. He was also accused of giving false details on his CV, including that he had held a private pilot's license since 1998 and fabricated documents, including a training course certificate. Uh, BA said in a statement, the safety of our customers and crew is always our uh, our priority, and the fully qualified pilot was suspended and an investigation was launched as soon as BA City Flyer became aware of discrepancies in his employment record. At no point was there any risk to customers or colleagues. The airline noted that Buttvoy had a full pilot's license. Stobart Air collapsed in June after running into financial trouble in the pandemic. Well, I don't know why they added that. That doesn't really have anything to do with the story. But, okay, so here we go. The entire article is read, and I still don't know what what <laughs> button it is that he pushed that no pilot would. No, yeah, neither no, do I. I uh, have no uh, idea. <laughs> I push a lot of buttons, mostly oh, yeah. of my co-hosts. Uh, you're, yeah, uh, you're pushing our buttons all the time, Steph. <laughs> 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 you know. Um, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, what, what is that button? Let me push that and see what happens. <laughs> I like Neil's hey, comment hey, here. Is right. Legitimately, you have no idea. I don't know. Uh, um, what is uh, Neil's comment? Uh, Liz is telling me that he's making a good... What are you in for? Murder? Armed robbery? No. Pressing a button. Pressing a button. <laughs> <laughs> that no other pilot would. <laughs> but it was about darn time that... A pilot pushed that button. I mean, it's the button it, it that says do not push, you know? <laughs> push. Yeah, absolutely. That one. Yeah. Uh, it's not as if he wasn't qualified on the aircraft. Right. He, I mean, he'd been flying the damn thing for quite a while. Well, he presumably yeah. went so, through training and yeah, yeah, as me, well. So, yeah, like, simulator checks that. and the like. So, how would it suddenly he decide that he wasn't going to, he was going to press his weird button? Which none of us know about. So. Like, hmm, I've never seen this one before. They didn't tell me what this one did. Let's try it out. The oh, the reason they didn't tell me is because this is the button good. no one pushes. John says it was the confession. Yeah, that's it. right. Actually, oh. that's exactly what it is. It's that secret uh, button to to find out if you're not truly an airline. Pilot. Yeah, the confess yeah. button, according to Sean Do Taylor. That in church. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, there. No, uh, Liz is asking me if there's that. Is there a button like that in the uh, Catholic Church? And no, there's no button uh, that you push to uh, start no your confession. No button. No button. No button. Um, uh, yeah, I don't. I, mm, I, don't I mean, it, it. It obviously is a bit of a worry. The the main worry is that during the, his initial interviews and the, them accepting him, they didn't do background checks on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would be pretty easy to check out his uh, the you know his previous licenses and when he got them etc. And if you found a discrepancy, then you know you start digging deeper. But um, this this sadly is not the first time. Uh, you don't often see this actually going to court. Um, yeah, usually uh, people are just pl- quietly like. You need yeah. to go now. And, yeah, um, I, I, uh, I, I know a pilot who was quietly um, asked to resign, and he moved off to another airline for um, uh, allegedly falsifying his hours. But we're talking now of uh, 
trying to get his hours up over the hump to qualify for a command course. Not, I mean, he was he he had several thousand hours, but he just needed a few hundred more. So apparently, uh, he submitted a new logbook that suddenly had bigger numbers than it used to have. Yeah. <laughs> so that and uh, somebody said, "Oh, that's a bit odd." <laughs> it's it's not. It's more about. Not the fact that you don't have that experience that you claimed. It's the fact that you didn't have Lie. the integrity, uh, moral and ethical integrity, to you know tell the truth or not tell the truth. Well, um, that's exactly right. It does reflect. I mean, uh, but there, sadly, there's a cynical group of pilots out there. There, there are a few uh, bad apples, uh, and of course, they bring the reputation of everyone down. So. Um, you know, it's nice when they do catch them and perhaps there'll be a few uh, people who are where they ought not to be who are now uh, a bit more worried about um, having Is their secrets revealed. Yes. Uh, Acme makes a very big point of saying that anything that you present uh, to us when you're trying to get hired by us, if at any point in the future, years later, decades later, we find that some of that is not true. That's grounds for uh, dismissal. And uh, and yeah. I've heard of cases where uh, pilots were fired after you know they learned that uh, some of the information that they presented was not correct. Neil sums Absolutely. it up perfectly yep. here. Yep, it's a question of character. Yep, you're yeah. right, Neil. All right, let's uh, continue with this one. Um, I like the reporting on this one. It's uh, very sensational. Uh, this is from news.com.au. Uh, dozens of Jetstar passengers were involved in a terrifying near miss after a light plane came within meters of the Airbus. I'll tell you what, I bet not a single passenger on that airliner <laughs> yeah, <noticed>. knew <laughs> that, that noticed. happened. No, no idea. Uh, a report from Australia's Transport Safety Bureau has found it was only by chance alone that a Jetstar Airbus A320 and a light plane didn't collide back in November 2020. It was on the morning of November 28, 2020, that the Jetstar plane, an A320 with 170 people on board, was coming in to land at uh, Bellina Byron Gateway Airport in northern uh, New, South, New South Wales. Is that right, uh, Bellina? Is that the way you pronounce that? New, New South Wales, and uh, sounds right, yeah. Okay. At the same time, the Jetstar A320 was descending a Jabiru, uh, which is now being shown on the screen, a light uh, high-wing uh, general aviation airplane. Very nice airplane, actually. A Jabiru 230, J230D light plane was conducting a private flight from Heckfield. What the heck? Uh, in Queensland <laughs> to Evans Head in... That's because of all the bad landings. <laughs> That's hell Oh, heck. Oh, heck. Not another bad landing. Uh, in Evans, uh, Queensland to Evans Head in New South Wales. The Australian Transport Safety Bureau, the ATSB, report found that the two planes were dangerously close to colliding, with the gap between them shrinking to as little as 600 feet. Uh, the investigation found that the pilot of the Jabiru had no idea the Jetstar flight was so close to him or that the two aircraft were converging, until he flew just above the Airbus. <laughs> That's when he found out. Uh, probably uh, some pretty wide eyes when he saw that A320 600 oh, feet below him. The jet looks real big with That's your big. little light sport, uh, you know. Luckily, the Jabiru, the light airplane, was above the A320. 
Yes. Uh, because it could have been a lot worse if he were below them with the wake turbulence and all that. Um, the flight crew of the Jetstar flight was also unaware of the presence of the Jabiru until they were alerted to the impending conflict by the aircraft's TCAS system, or the Traffic Collision Avoidance System. The ATSB also found that the pilot of the Jabiru did not set the aircraft's transponder to broadcast altitude data. And I'm wondering, why wouldn't you do that? You know, that's that would have been helpful. They pushed yep. the wrong button? Oh, <laughs> this is, oh is, but the button. Oh, that guy. Was, they didn't say who the pilot was here, but maybe it was that butt boy guy <laughs> <laughs> with the wrong button. <laughs> Just on standby. <laughs> um, the Jetstar flight crew were unable to sight the aircraft until just before the flight, flight paths intersected. Uh, and again, uh, the ATSB found it was by chance alone that there was a separation between the two planes, and they didn't crash. Uh, they are. Uh, they they also found that the most recent regulatory review of the airspace surrounding Bellina Byron Gateway Airport and subsequent periodic reviews had not specifically considered the risks associated with aircraft transiting the airspace without taking off or landing at the airport. Uh, let's see. In response to the terrifying near-miss, <laughs> Bellina Airport has since expanded its broadcast area to a radius of 15 nautical miles. An Air Services Australia Surveillance Flight Information Service, an SFIS, also began operating in August of 2021. The SFIS provided traffic information to aircraft operating within the broadcast area on the air, airport's common traffic advisory frequency. Previously, the airspace around Bellina was uh, not controlled or non-controlled, meaning aircraft were required to fly by sea and avoid principle, principles, meaning they watch for other traffic and monitor radios to stop collisions. The airspace surrounding Bellina Airport accommodates a complex mix of aircraft types and operations. And there is a number of other non-controlled airports in close proximity, the report said. The ATSB determined that while the available evidence did not support a conclusion that the present system of aircraft self-separation uh, in the Bellina airspace is unsafe, there is the opportunity to potentially further reduce the safety risk. So at least it looks like they implemented a couple of things here to try to keep something like this from occurring in the future. Oh, they learned yeah, from um, what they, they needed to do and actually put those changes in place. That's that's great. I know. That's kind of unusual. That should be the headline. I know. That should be the headline. Yeah. <laughs> Safety <laughs> improvements made. Yeah. Yeah, Not that would be very nice. Shock I was going to point out. <laughs> Shocking. Shockingly, they implemented changes to enhance safety. I was going to point out that uh, TCAS, of course, um, doesn't function if you don't have, or it doesn't function in its um, resolution advisory mode unless you have an altitude on uh, the target that you're approaching. So because this guy wasn't transmitting an altitude, <clears throat> it would have alerted the crew and the TCAS would have shouted traffic, traffic at them because of their proximity uh, in a... Um, lateral uh, position, in other words, they were going to cross almost directly overhead. But because they didn't have vertical information, it wouldn't have known how to offer uh, instructions for a climb or descend as mm -hmm. you would get with a, a resolution advisory. So it just uh, amplifies the importance of making sure you've got your mode Charlie on if you're bimbling around because uh, the, um, the Jetstar flight might well have got away with this but I very much doubt the pilots in the Jeffrey would have done. Uh, so, and they were the ones not transmitting altitude. So big lesson for them. 
Yeah. yeah. For sure. All right. Excellent. Let's uh, continue with the next item in our news notebook. This is an interesting one. Um, but your sister airline. Yeah, the, our sister airline at Atlanta International, Delta, had an incident with two of their flights. Um, turns out it was an air traffic control error. And uh, I think it might be best for me to share the video. Reconstruction. The reconstruction of the flight. And let me hear. Let me do this. I did not set this up beforehand. So. Well, Neil's got a, one last comment on the last item there. Sorry. They were rue close for comfort, according to Neil. Wah, hmm. wah. Very, very clever. Yeah, I'm starting to cringe a little, Neil. <laughs> Uh, okay. Thanks, Liz. Okay. Um, looking for the video folder and here we go. Okay. Open and there we go. This is, you can see ATC and, uh, let's see, this occurred, um, relatively recently on the 30th of March of this year. In Atlanta, Atlanta International Airport, a Delta Airlines Boeing 737-900 uh, was performing Flight 684 from New York John F. Kennedy International Airport to Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, was involved in a loss of separation with Delta Airlines Airbus an A321, registration November 329 Delta November, Flight 504. Both aircraft were performing a go-around procedure due to weather. As it was reported, the ATC error caused that situation. So, uh, now, and when I first started to read about this, I'm thinking, oh, it must have been like low-vis procedures or something like that. No, the weather in this case were very high winds out of the south, and the runways at Atlanta are east-west runways, so it was a direct crosswind, uh, pretty pretty high uh, winds and uh, the uh, just to kind of set it up a little bit the preceding aircraft of 757 um, uh, had I guess had not cleared the runway at the normal point and for us it's the second high speed uh, taxiway uh, when you're landing in that direction and um, I would imagine it's probably because of the high winds they're probably carrying a little extra speed and uh, they just didn't get the aircraft slow enough to take that second high speed. So they had to pass that and continue down toward the very end of the runway, which is a 90-degree 90, 90 turnoff at that point, or maybe even more than that. And maybe not quite the end of the runway, but it's much further down the runway. And because of that, the spacing on the uh, airplane uh, that was behind them uh, got to the point where, well, basically they were still on the runway and the airplane couldn't land, so they had to execute a go-around because of that. So, let's uh, go ahead and play this. Tower Delta 504, Bernie. Delta 504, Atlanta Tower, wind 170 at 27, gust 35, runway 9 right, clear to land. Clear land on right, uh, Delta 504. That's the Air Airbus, A321. Tower 17, missed the uh, high-speed. That's the 757 on the runway. Delta 17, another lay down the kilo. Left turn at kilo, hold short runway, nine or left. Tower Delta 684 is uh, Bernie, nine right. 
7684 Atlanta Tower, wind 170 at 26, gust 35, runway not a right, clear to land. Nine right, clear to land, Delta 684. That's the 737 behind the A321. The 33 or less for Delta 8684. Uh, go around, climbing. Go around, go around. Delta 504, go around. Thank you, Delta 504. Thank you, maintain 4000. Maintain 4000, Delta 504. Okay, just uh, I'm going to pause this for a moment. Uh, they stepped on each other. Tower uh, stepped on the 737, transmitting that I believe they were saying something like they had. I guess their maximum crosswind is 33, so he was kind of saying, like you know, we can't accept, we can't land if it's more than 33 knots on the gust. And Tower at that point was instructing the Airbus A321 to go around because the 757 was still on the runway toward the end. Okay, so he's clear. Delta 504, turn right, right turn, heading a 170. 170, one able, Delta 504, we're up to 4,000. Yeah, again, that's the uh, Airbus. One check. We're in the 170 at 28, go 35. Delta 504, we're able to turn right, heading 240. All right, heading 240, Delta 504. Wind check for Delta 684. Wind 170, 27, gust 35. Delta 684 has to go around. Delta 684, roger, climb, maintain 4,000. 4,000. Now, I was at Tower. The maximum that you can say is 33. <laughs> yeah. The magic number Not 35, is 33. 33. 33. I think I tried. That was like a hint, right? It was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've tried to hint a little there. I'd say again uh, for Delta 684. Delta 684, uh, turn right now, right heading at 1, minor, Christian 170. All right, right turn 170. We're going to have to go to Augusta for Delta 684. Delta 684, Roger. Off. By the okay. way, this is the second, I think the second go around for that uh, 737 that just said, we got to go to Augusta now because they're running low on fuel. Roger, right turn 170 and uh, say altitude. Delta 684, it's 4,000. Four thousand. Right. For uh, what frequency are you supposed to be up? Delta six eighty four. Delta six eighty four. Turn left heading one dot four zero. Uh, are you sure about that? Delta six eighty four. Make the center maintain three thousand. Down to three thousand. Delta six eighty four. Delta six eighty four. No delay. Down to six thousand. Three thousand. All right. TCAS RA for Delta six eighty four. Delta six three two. Uh, inside of Bernie. Delta 632, Atlanta Tower, wind 
Delta 684 Delta 684 Exit 4000 Maintain 3000 Continue right turn right turn heading 270 Okay again we have to go to Augusta for Delta 684 Which is the not that way <laughs> Delta 684 to have your request uh, 124.6 contact approach 124.6 246 Delta 684 Okay that's the end of it Um so I think what happened here um you know th- these things always seem to occur when you have excuse me you have situations that you weren't really expecting like he wasn't expecting that 757 to miss that second high speed and that completely threw things off because now the Airbus A321 has to go around and and then so so the so three so didn't get their wind number well, that correct was, no that was the uh, the Airbus yeah. he was okay uh they, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and then the guy behind the him, the, the 737, mm-hmm. yeah, they they needed to have that wind below that 33-knot gust, and uh, they didn't have it, and that's why he said, we have to go around. Um, and, and just a reminder, uh, Delta, like many airlines, um, don't have, I mean, they, the maximum demonstrated crosswind limitation uh that uh, when they certify the airplane uh, at Delta Airlines and Acme Airlines and some others, uh, that's actually a, a limitation for them. And so, uh, whereas a lot of airlines, the max demonstrated crosswind is kind of basically guidance, but not necessarily a limitation. Uh, and in this case, that was a, it wasn't a good thing because they weren't allowed to legally touch down with the winds gusting to more than 33, I'm guessing, because he, he didn't use that number at the beginning there. But I think what happened is air traffic control was a little bit uh, flummoxed or, or uh, distracted or whatever and forgot that he had already given the instruction for the Airbus to uh, to fly. And here's a track that we're looking at here. We'll have it in the show notes as well of the paths of the uh, various flights and the green uh, line and three-dimensional track is the Airbus. Uh, and so they, they went out a little bit further and then they got vectored around and they're kind of getting vectored to the Southwest and the 737, uh, their track, um, is more toward the pretty much the end of the landing runway and then a due South heading and the two paths, uh, cross each other, um, at a certain point. And that's why, uh, they ended up getting the uh, TCAS resolution advisory and why the air traffic controller told the 737 to descend to 3000 because the Airbus was level at 4000. So uh, what did it say as far as the uh, actual separation? I'm, I'm six. It was, feet. I've got it here. Uh, uh, two, 200 feet, feet, I think. 200 feet vertical and less than Le- So less than miles. a mile horizontal yeah. and 200 feet vertical. That's pretty close, actually. Vertical. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, well, hence an right. RA. So you don't get resolution advisory unless there is a real risk of yep. a collision. And the ceiling uh, that day was not a low ceiling. I mean, I think the, the, the around 17,000, they were in the, you know, in the teens, um, the ceiling. So it was, and the visibility was 10 miles, which it's when it's reports, 10 statute miles, it's at least 10. So it, with that kind of wind, I would imagine that the visibility was pretty good. Now it would be easy for me to say, well, 
why weren't you looking outside, you know, and, and why didn't you see this or why didn't in your mind kind of keep track of the fact that that airplane ahead of you just went around. And so we have to be thinking about that when we're doing our go around procedure. But, um, you know, there is a lot of, um, well, there's a lot going on. So you just went around, you're trying to figure out one, one aircraft is trying to figure out which frequency they're supposed to be on. Cause they haven't been assigned that the other one's trying to figure out how to go to Augusta. The other ones, it, you know, they're trying to reprogram things. And I'm afraid yeah. that, uh, you know, there was probably a lot of head down stuff going on in, uh, mm. uh probably both in airplanes, both airplanes but probably. And it's a kind of busy airport. It, uh, Liz right? says uh, it's kind of a busy airport, right? Yeah, it's very busy. It's like the world's busiest. Yeah, and of course the controller is pretty busy too because when he uh, when aircraft go around, he's got a lot of information got to pass to the next controller who's going to pick these aircraft up unexpectedly. Um, so he's doing a lot air- of internal. It doesn't stop the, you know, continual flow of inbound nope. aircraft on the approach <laughs> It just either. keeps going. They no, still keep coming no, in, checking fine. in. <laughs> Bernie. And now approach control has to worry about this consistent, constant flow of traffic coming into that runway. Now they have to figure out how are we going to fit these two in or one. Uh, the other one finally said, I'm giving up. We're going to go to Augusta, get some more fuel, and then try it again later. Now, I was uh, just going to uh, come and I'll share one more, uh, more recently on what Peter just said. Uh, I think the... Uh, the crew that asked the controller about one of the headings, uh, they did that because they wanted to divert and they were going to be yes. turned onto the opposite he- direction yes. to where they actually wanted to go. Uh, so that was the query. It wasn't a query, oh, you're going to m- turn us into a heading that'll collide. Yes. They'd actually gone past the collision. Right. I agree completely. Well, the heading, the heading they were given was to get them away from the collision along with the descent. Yeah. yeah. But it was uh, away I will from where they thought they were supposed to go. So, yeah. Yeah. The Airbus crew took a long time to initiate their turn onto the new heading during their go-round. Now, I understand why they were probably busy flying the go-round. And we know uh, a go-round, particularly one that was unexpected, they were probably sitting there on finals going, oh, this is going to be fine. And then all of a sudden, oh, damn, that aircraft's not going to clear and unexpectedly they're into a go-around, then you don't fly actual go-arounds that often. Uh, so, you know, when you do one in if for real, it's, uh, you know, it comes a bit of a surprise. So perhaps it took them longer than they would have hoped to get onto that heading. The 737 crew, <laughs> they, they were right on the ball. Mm-hmm. They uh, got so- the aircraft in the go-around and then they whipped it round on a sixpence and that, uh, rather than carrying well, they, straight ahead and following the track of the Airbus and ending up in trail on him, uh, he, he cut the corner. Now, it yeah. didn't mean he purposely cut the corner. That meant he obeyed the uh, air traffic controller's instructions, but much more promptly than the Airbus crew. Right. That 737 had just previously gone around, and so this was their second try. And they were already thinking about the alternate, <laughs> yeah. and they were already thinking. Yeah. This and is, already, they were already thinking go around. They, they were ready for it. They were ready for it. So they were all practiced. They, yeah. they initiated we're, their go arounds very different. Slick here. But the seven or the A three twenty one was much closer to the you know to touchdown yes. at that point. Yes. So they initiated their go around much later. So it took them a minute to actually get into that turn. And they actually even said on the. Uh, if you listen to it, they said, when, when able. able. Yeah, that was like, what? what do you mean, when able? Because <laughs> they weren't ready. They weren't ready to turn. I know. <laughs> that, but that was like the, yep. the air traffic controller 
was expecting them to do that right away and yeah. they didn't and, and they're like no one able we'll turn and you could tell yeah. that they were pretty rattled the, just the the way they were making their radio communication uh you could tell that they weren't expecting to have to do this and and as nick says you know when you're flying a, a like a low visibility approach and you're already kind of half expecting that you're not going to break out you're already going through your mind all the different things you're going to do when you get the airplane to go to uh, go, go into a missed approach uh when you're probably clear you know and clear in a million uh, high winds yes but clear in a million you're just not expecting that you're going to have to go around out of that and then all of a sudden whoa yep go around huh? go, go around <laughs> yeah yes yeah, so i wonder how many times that captain uh did a little mini uh go around brief just in case uh, the wind's a bit strong today yeah uh, just in case we go around let's just run through what we're going to do um, that's a good it, idea which i always thought to do. was a yeah great idea but i bet they didn't <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah, i don't know for sure but yeah i agree with you yeah. Jeff. so the controller was pushed he was all of a sudden coordinating two go-rounds which he wasn't expecting uh and um the one of the certainly the pilots were reacting in a different way uh but ultimately you've got to say the controller should have been watching what the first aircraft did and giving an instruction to the second aircraft that would have uh, you know deconflicted them straight away so go around straight ahead until he had a moment and then he could have turned him at, at the same point that the airbus turned but uh, it's easy for us to criticize here isn't it we're not sitting there on the in the hot seat exactly it's yeah <laughs> it's a lot more comfortable looking at it from this vantage point and uh, oh yeah yeah, yeah we're experts yeah. <laughs> with, with a beer in hand right Liz? Right. <laughs> yeah uh, oh that's a good idea thank you for that yeah there you go um all right uh let's continue with this next item from the uh from airlive.net uh, and just a quick update on the uh, China Eastern Boeing 737 crash. The cockpit voice recorder has been transferred to an NTSB facility in Washington. And uh, let's see, they will attempt to glean crucial details about the run-up to the tragedy. An NTSB crash investigation team also left Friday, headed for China, to assist in the investigation. Investigators will limit interaction interactions with those outside of investigation similar to safety protocol uh, protocols at beijing olympics which will allow them to begin work immediately without a quarantine the agency said okay not sure exactly what that means but um well they they do have very strict uh, quarantine rules in china mm -hmm. uh, their main method of keeping the pandemic under control has been just to shut everything down whenever there's a hint of an infection so uh, they're obviously easing some of those regulations okay. to get the guys um straight onto site so they can start working that miami Excellent. rick in the chat room saying he's going to iah he's headed for houston oh wait liz is telling me that um miami rick yeah, this is Miami Rick, apparently. In the chat room. That's Jet him. noise. That's him. I didn't know it was, oh, but... Excellent. I didn't know that was him either, uh, Liz. Says. Jet noise equal Miami Rick, by the way. Okay, he is... Uh, what's he... Oh, hi, oh, hi, Rick. Why aren't you here, Rick? By the way, he just celebrated yeah, a definitely birthday. Join yeah, there's a, there's a big 777 crashing coming up. <laughs> we need you. We need you, Rick. Come on. 
Yeah. So yeah. what is he doing? He's going to um, Houston Intercontinental. I A H. Okay. Okay. Well, have a good flight, Rick. Miss you, man. Yep. Yeah, we yep. do miss you. All the best. See you. See you the next time, I suppose. Yep. Yeah, don't worry. I'll I'll sort out the triple seven problem. I know all about it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. He's just going to start talking about Airbuses, so you're going to have to help us out. Ah, oh. straighten things back out next time around. <laughs> Absolutely. By the way, Rick, uh, did you see your competition in the uh, extreme ironing? Oh, <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen that. Then. Yeah, I would be. There, there are some more events coming. Are there? Together. Oh, yes. wow. Yeah. I can't wait. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. Cannot wait. Maybe in that <laughs> chair. Maybe in that chair he's going to Oh, in that chair that's behind you in the garden, uh, Liz is thinking. <laughs> yeah, yes. Oh, yeah. Garden ironing. Um. Oh, no, that's extreme. That's Nearly not that extreme. extreme enough. No. Yeah. No. All right. Uh, okay, so the, our last item in the news, uh, Emirates' latest April Fool's joke could actually be a really great idea. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. Really? Yeah. Actually, I do like this idea. Okay. I'm all for it. Well, let's hear about what it is then. Be careful what you all believe right. today because, of course, it's April Fool's Day. Of course, this was on the 1st of April. Uh, we were recording the show on the 6th. And more and more otherwise serious airlines are getting into the spirit of hijinks. The Dubai based emirates has vowed with its april fools activities in recent years from flying oh i'm sorry the dubai based emirates has wowed with its april fools activities in recent years from flying taxis to airbus a380s kitted out with full-sized swimming pools what makes a good april fools joke is when you might actually believe it's a reality after all flying taxis have been talked about for years while emirates put a bar and shower on its a380s so why not a swimming pool? Uh, weight, probably. Mm. <laughs> um, sloshing. A lot of water. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not good. And difficult to contain. Yeah. Uh, its latest April Fool joke is also based on an idea that could, at a real stretch, uh, actually become a reality. In this case, Emirates is planning on going head-to-head with delivery service Uber Eats with its own similarly branded Emirates. There's one big difference between Uber Eats and Emirates, though. Whereas Uber delivers locally sourced takeout food, Emirates promises to deliver international cuisine direct from its home country. Actually, that does sound like a pretty good idea. See, it sounds like a great idea. Yeah. I'm all for it. It's, other airlines with their I like food. Yeah, me too. Other airlines with their own April Fools jokes include Finnair, which claims Santa Claus will soon be starting work as an airline pilot. Well, I know that's not true because I think it's he's probably too old. No, you know, he's, he's beyond retired. the uh, he's man- in mandatory. Now. He's in <laughs> probably is true because what's he doing the other 364 uh, days of the year? Exactly. He's lawn bowling. Uh-huh. According to the Helsinki-based airline, becoming a pilot has been a secret ambition of Santa for years. Well, he he is a pilot, right? He's, he's driving that sleigh. Exactly. Yeah, he just needs a tight radio. Yeah. An eight-engine sleigh. And an eight-engine sleigh. Thank you, Liz. Uh, Finnair has been the uh, Finnair has been the official airline of Santa Claus since 1983. The crisis in Ukraine, however, has seen many companies take a break from sharing their own April Fool's jokes this year. The comic relief from the likes of Emirates and Finnair, though, is very much appreciated. All right. That was that was fun. And that clip source was from Paddle Your Own Canoe. My fave. It's always my Liz's lighthearted favorite. one. <laughs> They're on every week. I'd like, I like yep. to end on a lighthearted note. Well, I like it too, Liz. Nice. Okay. 
Um, that well, brings us. Emirates. You're going to order some emirates? What are you going to get? Something uh, from yeah. some Indian cuisine Falafels or something like that? Falafels. Saying, Santa is Alpa. He'll be all right. Ah, Rick says Santa is Alpa, Airline Pilots Association. He'll be Ait. a lot. Ait. He'll be Ait. He'll be Ait. <laughs> All right. Um, or Ait. Let's uh, move over now to the Getting to Know Us segment of the show. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you getting to like us or me hoping that you like me too do you like me i hope so love you was that are you asking me or nick i'm i whoever whoever will answer oh. <laughs> yes we love you captain of course. jeff we love you captain jeff oh yeah thank you liz i, I need to to put that little sound clip in. we love you captain jeff <laughs> <laughs> anyway um so Let's uh, start with it. How, how are we doing with the time, uh, Steph? You want to go ahead and do your getting to know us um, first? I'm I'm good for now. Yeah, it's 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 okay. we're we're doing good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, getting to know me. What am I doing? Um, so this past weekend, um, we did yeah some flying. I'm just trying to remember. It's been uh, it's been crazy at work. Still, it's just been very 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 busy working. So. Um, makes all the days kind of blur together. Um, each day kind of feels like the next. I'm sure other people can relate to that a little bit. Um, but it's a good thing, you know, staying busy. Um, lots and lots of patience to see at my day job. Um, but yeah, last weekend got to do some flying. Um, got to do some jumping as well. So I think I did three jumps each day and, you know, flew a handful of, of skydiving loads. Probably, I think I did. 10 on Saturday and 7 on Sunday or something along those lines. Kind of split it with the other pilot who was was there. One of our aircraft um, was being used um, for a demonstration jump um, at a local Air Force base for their air show. So it had to leave for part of the day. So they needed two of us there this weekend to coordinate that with a different aircraft. So, um, yeah, nice nice weather this weekend for a change. It was not terribly windy. Um, it's a little breezy, but nothing nothing crazy like it's been the past month or so. Just seems like every weekend, you know, you're listening to that. Um, we've had very similar weather to Atlanta. We were listening to the um, the the winds in that recent uh, news article, but that's that's what it's been. It's been gusty winds out of the south or out of the southwest for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. So. Nice that that's settled down, and it's definitely warmer weather now. It's like 80 degrees outside right now, but I think we'll have some storms later on. Um, and I'm heading to, um, i got a couple days off coming up. My neighbors are getting married um, on the beach in Mexico, so I am heading there tomorrow to celebrate with them. Skydiving. Is there skydiving so. involved? That sounds nice. Yeah. I was thinking that uh, uh, you it, were it, doing that already this week, but uh, I guess I, I, was, uh, I was one week ahead. Oh yeah, no, that was not. This is coming up, leaving tomorrow. Oh, okay, so. well, that sounds exciting. Are they actually getting married during the skydive? No, no. Okay. <laughs> Are you bridesmaiding? Uh, no, fortunately, this is very, very simple. You know, um, just close family and very and friends simple and... skydiving wedding. <laughs> no, the the wedding itself is simple, right? I, I oh, actually okay. have no idea how many. I assume they might have. Um, some bridesmaids and groomsmen and, and that not sure what this comment good from stuff, Rick but means i actually don't that. know i have no idea hmm. but well not sure what miami rick means stuff i know what he oh. means okay it's fine 
it's a reference to my job oh with the large <laughs> oh, okay got him gotcha yeah. yeah nice one yeah so i think that's about it i'll hopefully I'll have some uh, good and good uh, updates from um uh vacation mm-hmm. when i get back next week um hopefully it'll work out to be on the show next week because i basically come back from this i work for like two days and then i head up to boston for the marathon the following weekend so another oh, marathon wow. yeah that comes around quick wow. doesn't, it? doesn't it well last year they pushed it to like to october so it's normally oh, okay. it's normally right. the third monday of april oh, which is patriots right. day holiday up in massachusetts so um, ah well uh this must be, almost be the anniversary of the volcano in iceland then because when that, that you remember the one that shut the yeah. airspace over yeah, Europe yeah. Of and course. the Atlantic? Well, I was stuck in Boston. Oh, uh, ah. that happened, and while I was stuck in Boston, when everything they was grounded, they had the Boston Marathon. So, yep, it surely was then. Well, because every year for the past hundred and twenty-five years, except for last year, it's happened on the third Monday in April. Hmm. Wow. So, um, Good effort. not sure which one of your doggies was having the uh, intestinal issues. Oh, it's, been both, it's been both of them. Oh, it was both of I'm them. Not sure what they oh, no, mm-hmm. really? Well, yeah, it, they've taken turns, apparently. So maybe it was something viral. Are they um, doing better? I'm not sure. It seemed to be today. Good. Um, yeah. She's getting out of town. She doesn't they, I did not come yeah, home right. to more surprises, which is good. If you order the new carpet... <laughs> uh, that, that needs to... Well, I just remember I'm getting a new house. Right. Gonna push the house hey, down. I mean, Smells why get new carpet bad. when I'm just gonna just gonna start over entirely? So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just set light to this one and start again. Yeah. Well, David Lieb exactly. in our audience uh, lives in uh, Framingham. He said he's going to be watching the marathon around six. mile six. Cool. So I um. Be, I don't know. Yeah. Look for me. I'll um. Maybe I'll post a picture in the morning of my on uh, my, <laughs> my race kit. So. Um, You'll be the one. Tell me waving, what side of the road yeah? you're going to be on. Tell <laughs> my name. I'm in, I'm in wave three, so, so when kind is, of a later start. When's the marathon again? Monday, April 18th. Okay, so I'll see David before then. Uh, ah. He's going to be in oh. White Plains, and we're planning on uh, next week, and we're planning on having a meet up there. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll ask him what side of the road yeah, he's going to be it's on. A, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, while you're having the meet up, just um, coordinate with me, and we'll. Okay. I'll be on the lookout for you, Dave. That'd be cool. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear about this Mexican adventure. Mexican oh, it's going to be fun times. I'll, I'll, everyone else that I'm uh, rooming with went down today, so I've been getting group messages all day about their flight adventures. Where, whereabouts um, in uh, Mexico? Acapulco or something? Puerto, Puerto Escondido. Puerto Escondido. Where is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on the southern Pacific coast, mm. like south of Acapulco. Like okay. Coast. Yeah. Nice. Okay, yep. next. All right. So, uh, Nick, how have you been, sir? Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> I've been nursey. I've been nursey to uh, Mrs. Anderson, who is getting uh, over her knee operation uh, and doing uh, reasonably well. Uh, so, you know, she's getting around a bit now, which is great. And she takes a little stroll uh, up and down the street uh, to get this leg working. Uh, and uh, but you know there's still lots of things she can't do so I'm on call uh, 24-7 and um, of course doing a lot of dog walking which is uh, we normally share uh, so uh, it takes me a while to get up and organize myself and that's taken some time and I think uh, 
uh, because I've been doing a lot of uh, humping and dumping in my backs playing up, she felt a bit sorry for me. So You've been doing a lot of what? I'm sorry. I've Never been doing mind. a lot of work, humping and, humping and dumping. Hmm. Well, Steph's that's, dogs that's have been doing British the dumping. That's a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure about the humping. That would have been a good segue. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> she uh, she said, uh, I said, right, I've got to go down to the uh, the furniture place we like and um, pick up those two um, big cushions that we had restuffed. So we've had stuffing, humping, and dumping. Oh, boy. That sounds, sounds like an extra movie to getting towards a show title. <laughs> <laughs> getting towards a show title now. We are. Um, and she said, while you're down there, have a look at the stressless chairs because um, I think you need one in your Aww. studio. So you can kick wife. back uh, and ease your back uh, in a decent chair. Mm. And uh, I thought, oh, that's, that's nice. So um, stressless chairs uh, for you lovely Americans. Uh, they're a Norwegian company. Uh, they started off about 600 kilometers north of Oslo. And they make very fine quality uh, um, uh, chairs for people who like to... Um, sit back anyway uh, i People found like one that suited <laughs> there you go i found one that suited and uh ordered it uh, there is a four month lead time uh, for delivery so i'm not going to see it for a while so it turns out it might be more of an anniversary present than anything else um anyway uh that, that i thought i would show you um there a picture from their app they have the most amazing app uh, it, it, I mean, I don't know. There's pr probably lots of companies do this nowadays. But you pick your chair, uh, and that's the one I've uh, ordered. And you uh, you get your phone, and you decide where you want to put it. And you tap the screen, and then you step back and use the camera. And there, exactly where you stuck the chair, your chair has magically appeared, and you can see what it looks like in your house or in my case in the garden that's how it ended up in, <laughs> it the, looks garden. Great in the garden that's a perfect place for it. <laughs> so <laughs> i thought for my background today i'd uh, i'd use one of those images <laughs> anyway that was a bit of a joke yeah exactly right so it's not really going to be in the garden and it because it's not really there it's it's a, a completely imaginary chair at the moment but there mm -hmm. you go that's a very nice and main man mike imaginary chair <laughs> yeah it will be. I'm sure it w the. Uh, I sat in the one in the showroom, and uh, it it heats your back and uh, gives you a lovely massage, as well as doing all the reclining stuff, and and also it it's nice and compact. So, uh, you know, it doesn't take up a lot of room in your house. So, unlike these massive, great big things you see in the malls sometimes, that some people can afford to have in their houses, which take up half a room. This I is... don't know anyone who would have one of those in their house. <laughs> never, never seen that before in anyone's house. Uh, uh, I don't believe you, stuff. I remember sitting in wow. Davis. It was <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it had, it had massaged your legs and your thighs, uh, you know, your uh, upper and lower legs and your arms, and it did absolutely every bit of your body um it's like you don't just about. i don't want to leave i'm going to stay here for the rest of my life <laughs> exactly right but it <laughs> was a bit of a monster i mean it had a room all to itself yes <laughs> so anyway 
That's funny. This is a bit more me, this one. Well, I can't wait to hear anyway, when you that, get it. So when are you going to get it? Uh, next year? Yeah, four months. <laughs> yeah, just about next year, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that's That's been about it, other than uh, Canon have released a, a new firmware update for the latest camera, which has improved it markedly. I love it when companies do that. You know, when they go, ah, oh, well, we didn't get this quite right, so we're going to tweak the software. And um, in... in it really has has helped uh, because there were certain aspects of it that I was wasn't too impressed with, and I was out playing uh, with it in the garden this afternoon in very poor light conditions, and the eye tracking is now becoming very very accurate. So very pleased with that. Other than that, uh, nothing much going on, uh, and uh, uh, I've got to start in another plane town. I think I've got uh, have to delve into my logbook next week well i need to actually Ooh, uh, finish uh, editing the last show yeah. <laughs> yeah. publish it <laughs> yeah yeah for you it's like a, a conveyor belt isn't it it never stops yeah it, it never never stops anyway um well it looks like nick camacho man is back with us uh yeah, he had to leave for uh for like real world stuff uh, work, work stuff work 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 so uh yeah. nick tell us about what you have been up to since i was last there uh last week uh yeah um starting off the notable thing like right after the show last week we uh went out to dinner oh yeah we we went out to dinner we went to my there's a little uh cafe uh not a cafe like a Bar and Grill on my airport. A very nice one, by the way. I've never seen yeah. as nice a restaurant, bar. It was like a big sports bar, but very, very nice one at a uh, at an airport like that, especially a smaller airport. That was uh, very yep. impressive. Really good food, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice place. We uh, had, I think, three Blackhawks were there. Uh, there's a army base about... 120 nautical miles north of us, I, I imagine, and um, Fort Riley. And so we are pretty consistently getting um, currency flights and training flights. Uh, you know, those guys coming down, I assume we're at some sort of distance where it makes sense for them to fly down here for, I guess, a training mission or, or something. But we're regularly getting those guys into our little airport. So we had three Blackhawks, and then while we were eating there, a Chinook also landed. I think it's the actual um, cafe, the bar and grill. Yeah. That's right. why they that's come a, down. <laughs> that's, a, that's a one nice advantage is you could go put your wheels on the ground and then take off and go home at a dusty old deserted airport, or you can go have dinner and kind of have a nice little uh, experience there. So, um, yeah, that was good. We had dinner. Uh, got up the next morning. Jeff tested out his Starlink. I got to see the Starlink in action on my driveway. That was pretty cool. Uh, How close was I with the artwork? Was it, did it look like that, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite. Okay, well, there you go. Yeah, uh, like that? Mm, <laughs> close, but yeah. not poking up so high and not round. It's uh, rectangular. And he doesn't have to move it. It's motorized, so it moves itself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, right. Okay. Does it have a spoon in the middle? Mm, no. To go with the dish? Oh. It does have a, I don't remember if we talked about it last time, but it does have a cat feature on the app. 
It does. And uh, this, uh, this cat feature. Yeah, this winter there was a picture going around. I don't know if it was real or staged or just fake Photoshop, but there's a picture going around of someone who had mounted this thing uh, on their roof, right? And there were five cats all laying on it, kind of wedged up against each other. Um, <laughs> because it- with like six inches of snow on the roof, because this dish thing has a integrated heater. To melt, to the, melt snow. the snow. Ah, yep. very clever. And so those, those when Jeff fired it up, stupid. I don't remember, Jeff, is it something you click or does it just pop up and say, getting ready to clear the cats? Uh, so <laughs> when when I go to the uh, to the app, and uh, that's how you control this thing, and when you, in, in the settings, and uh, they have a, a, a stow um, button or whatever you want to call it, uh, stowing will tilt your Starlink for storage or shipping. This will interrupt your service until you stow it. And this, in this case, it just says stow, but I guess because I had it on automatic mode and it sensed because of the temperature or something, I guess it somehow knew that it, it had uh, snowed recently in Wichita. I don't know. Um, it said snow and uh, what, what did it say? Re- remove cats? Yeah, or something about cat removal, cat removal, cat. stowing, and cat removal, or something like that. Cat removal? Yeah. What does that have to do I with love snow? It. Well, because the the dish, you just missed it, Steph. The dish. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Is, I, it, I should not talk about things which I've not been paying attention it's, to. It's it's a heated it's a heated dish, so that uh, you know when you mount it outside, you have it the, keeps your food warm. The uh, snow okay. melts off of it, but so, it turns so out the that cats find it. Cats. This a nice is a, place it's to, a definitely I, a cat magnet. Yeah. yeah, they yeah, like yeah. lying down. I mean, on it. my dogs would do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I have this, and Liz knows we got this little heated mat for them, mm-hmm. and they, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but cool. that was the first time that, of course, I haven't had a lot of experience with it, but that was the first time that I saw that little comment about the cats. Check for cats. But uh, yeah, it worked. It, uh, it, we got service from Nick's well, place. If only I'd know it, I'd have stuck a couple of cats in the artwork. Yeah, well, we didn't, we didn't let you know in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, as a matter of fact, I think you might have been done. That artwork had a real quick turnaround. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you may have been uh, done yeah, I, I, that, yeah, I try and do it the next day. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, then last weekend I got to uh, pull the Luscombe out and fly the Luscombe around a little bit. Um, it was relatively calm for, you know, Jeff mentioned it was a little breezy last week, um, generally in kansas in the spring a little bit it's not (laughs) it's not uncommon to have uh high wind days and as a matter of fact today and tomorrow we're under a uh like a fire fire advisory because they're saying winds are gusting to 50 and so i just got my phone out and right now the the airport's uh reporting 25 gusting to 32 so that's sporty in a little airplane but not anything significant um so got to go up and fly on Saturday. It was hoping for a really nice glass smooth day because it was maybe three to five knots of wind. But man, it was bumpy. Someone put the speed bumps out for you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then because it was so calm and because it had been so windy, everyone was burning, um, burning their fields. <laughs> yeah. And so there was a just this layer of hazy, smoky badness uh, at about 3,000 feet. But other than that, it was good. Uh, brought the airplane back in one piece, which is always the goal, and uh, had some, uh, and then spent some time with my in-laws, who are uh, big University of Kansas uh, fans, and as some of you may know, the University uh, of Kansas just won the national championship uh, in basketball sorry. this weekend. So, 
That was a Sorry, that was just my required my sigh because my significant other is a huge Tar Heels fan. So oh, if I didn't do yeah. that, I would have been, if he ever happened to see this, I would have been, um, yeah, we would not be yeah. speaking for a while if I didn't. Well, it was an, it was an especially uh, emotional uh, showdown for the championship because the Kansas basketball fans are super passionate and they are a very top tier program. They're for like for sure a top five program in the nation. And I would say like maybe Kentucky and North Carolina are only the only two programs that are better than them. And so of course they had a coach from North Carolina for a long time and North Carolina poached him away about two decades ago. So it's still a little bit of uh, a little bit of a grudge. Charge <laughs> yeah. There. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yep. So that's uh, that's what I've been up to the last uh, week or so. Well, when we after we had our wonderful meal at the uh, what, what's the place called uh, again, Nick? It's called Steerman Field Bar and Grill. Steerman yeah. Field. So my bar airport and is, yeah, my airport is Steerman Field, which I guess we talked about driving out there. So you know, the Steerman Aircraft Company is based in, uh, was based in Wichita back in its heyday, you know, the 30s and 40s, and um, actually one of the original hangars is still around. It's on the uh, military, the Air Force Base here in town. Um, so the, I guess the history behind our field was it, it was a real small GA airport and, uh, a handful of guys, three guys got together and bought it about 15 or 20 years ago and they had a steerman and then, uh, together, and then they all bought their own steermans. And so then they reached out to the steerman family and asked for permission to use his name, um, on our field. And so the airport was changed from Benton air park to, uh, Lloyd steerman field. So my airport's name is Stearman Field, and the restaurant is Stearman Bar and Grill. Yeah, and so after we had that wonderful meal, um, we went to Nick's uh, hangar, and I got to see in person the uh, newly refurbished um, Debonair and uh, the Luscom, mm-hmm. and uh, yep. it was really cool. Very nice. All right. Um, anything else, Nick? I think that's uh, I think that's about it on my end. All right. So after that, uh, the next day, you know, checked out the Starlink dish and everything worked okay. No cats were injured in the process. And uh, loaded up the car and moved to Beverly. Uh, headed back home uh, to the cabin and uh, made it uh, basically backtracked the same route that I took out there um, through. Uh, Poplar Bluff, uh, Missouri, where I stopped for the night after about eight hours, nine hours of driving. And then uh, the next day finished up the uh, trip from there through uh, uh, Tennessee and uh, mostly Tennessee from there. And then North Georgia. Yeah. What's that, Liz? Yeah. You went to the Cairo this time. And Did the I? last one was Carruthers oh. or something. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The, the route took me a little bit further to the north. That's right. The, uh, earlier, uh, when I went out, I went through Dyersburg and crossed the Mississippi River there. And on the way back, I, I did, uh, did the routing that uh, Google Maps preferred, I guess, uh, near Paducah, uh, on the top end of the, uh, uh, the land between the lakes, the uh, uh, Tennessee and uh, Cumberland rivers, etc. Very beautiful area of uh, western Kentucky. Anywho... Um, then uh, got back uh, to the cabin on Saturday night. Of course, we recorded the show on Thursday, I believe. So I got zero 
work editing uh, because it was kind of difficult to edit the show uh, while driving. So, um, and then of course, um, uh, excuses. I excuse. know, I know. Uh, then Sunday was mostly spent um, editing, and then uh, I left on a trip on Monday morning. And, uh, so again, a lot of flying that Monday, uh, we had three legs and it was a lot of, a lot of flying and not a lot of chance to do any editing, more excuses. Anyway, it'll be published eventually. Uh, but I did, uh, release the, uh, video for public viewing, um, you know, pretty, pretty soon after we, we did the show, I'll, I'll try to do that in the future. So if you're looking for the audio only podcast, um, and it's not there when you expect it to be, then head over to our website or go to our YouTube channel, Airline Pilot Guy, and then you can watch the the show, the raw show and not the edited and, uh, you know, get your fix. Um, when I was in Madison a couple of weeks ago, I uh, showed up in the morning. It actually recorded the show that uh, that week in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, in the morning, very early, um, sign in or meet up or what, what, what do we call it? Report. I don't know. Pick up time, whatever. Uh, report time. Sure. Um, a, a young lady uh, who is a flight attendant for Acme. Uh, and I've met her before. And in fact, it was many years ago. I, I remember we were in Atlanta and uh, she was getting off the airplane and she yelled out something like she loves, you know, listening to the show. And people were looking at me like, what, what is she talking about? And uh, her name is Nanette. And she was there. Um, unfortunately, she flew with a different crew back to Atlanta. We ended up going to Minneapolis, I think, uh, that day. And uh, she handed me this. And it was an envelope. And uh, on it says the coffee fund. And on the uh, the back is a really cute little, little uh, three-dimensional button thing. I don't know what you call it. It's like almost like a... Like a well, it's like a sticker, but it's a but it's a three dimensional thing. Um, very cool, three dimensional sticker. Yeah, and so um, she handed that to me, and I said, "Oh, Nanette, you don't have to do that." And she said, "No, I want to contribute to the coffee fund." So, look, real real money. She uh, yeah. hit the coffee fund. Thank you, Nanette. Yes, Nanette, thank Where's you so much. Mine? Anyway, better than that fake Bitcoin <laughs> stuff. I mean, if you want to send that to us, too. <laughs> you want you want Bitcoin? <laughs> Steph wants Bitcoin. Nanette. Yeah. yeah. Yes, Just a couple I'm of trying to build a house here, Jeff. I'm trying to build a house. <laughs> anyway, she's so sweet. I love her name. I love that uh, old-fashioned name that she has. And uh, she's a big fan of our show and a big fan of the crew. And I'm wondering, was she, did she ask me? I think she asked me to ask one of you something. I've forgotten what it was now. Nanette, send me, uh, you know, call me or send send some uh, feedback and and let me know exactly what the question was that. I've now forgotten. That was a couple of weeks ago. I'm I'm lucky if I remember what happened yesterday. <laughs> do you, Do you think she's just been carrying that envelope around? In, yeah, in I was going to ask you. How she I don't think so. Suddenly found well, an envelope. She, she is a, as I said, she's a big fan of the show, and I think she may have actually. Oh, that's brilliant. She may have actually been listening to us recording it when we were there in Madison. Um, ah, so okay. oh, super. That might, uh, and then she went. Oh, he's here. Um, I wish she had like knocked on the door and said, "Hey." And you could have, she could have joined uh, me as my co-host in, uh, in Madison. But uh, anywho, thank you, Nanette. Appreciate that. Uh, you're a doll. Um, let's see. And then the, this last trip, I was with uh, Brent Heron, 
And, you know, our thing is barbecue and stuff. And we had planned uh, to go and find some barbecue in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, by the way, Springfield, Missouri is the home of Bass Pro Shops. And uh, so we were kind of scouting out some of the uh, options for barbecue, except though we kind of got left at the airport. We got in and uh, went out to the, we called the hotel and they said, this is where you go to, you know, meet the van. Uh, He should be there in about five minutes. Went outside, waited five minutes, waited 10 minutes, waited 15 minutes. You get the picture. I called him back. I said, "Uh, is the van driver like still on his, on his way? She goes, no, I think he's on his way back to the hotel. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we're still at the airport. (laughs) So uh, basically uh, he left without the pilots, uh, had some passengers that he was taking to the hotel and uh, he came back and he kind of felt bad for kind of not waiting for us to come out. And uh, so when we got to the hotel, he said, can I buy you guys dinner? And I'm thinking, you, like personally? And he goes, no, no, the hotel. I went, oh, okay, sure. So uh, we ended up getting a um, a voucher for, I guess, in the lobby of the hotel uh, was a Hula Hands, which is not a barbecue place. Um, but we got a $15 each voucher toward our dinner. So that was kind of took the the sting off the fact that we got left at the airport. I used to go to Hoolands. There was one uh, uh, on the coast near near New York. Uh, I'm trying to think. Were uh, that hooligans? <laughs> yeah, we used to call it hooligans. Yeah, so I remember you talking all, about the that. whole crew did. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so we didn't get our barbecue fix in Springfield, Missouri, uh, but uh, we did get free money toward our meal. So we're pilots, and <laughs> we'll take advantage of free money. And uh, the next day, we ended up in Lexington just before noon and uh, coordinated with uh, Greg Peterson, our our big-ass fan in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, he picked us up uh, around a little after 5 and took us to a place called Red State Barbecue. And it is really good. Uh, So that's a picture of us there at Red State Barbecue in Lexington, Kentucky. And of course, they barbecue horses or is that just a coincidence? I I don't know. I didn't see that on the menu, (laughs) but maybe it's possible. Uh, What I had did not taste like uh, barbecue horse. Uh, I had the, would, you, would you know, though? Do you know what uh, horse meat like? I'm, I'm not sure, Steph. That's a good point. Uh, I don't well, Kentucky, I mean, you know? Raise your hand if you've had horse. Have you? How does it taste? Yes. I would well, imagine it doesn't taste like uh, brisket or pulled pork. It, it, it probably tastes could make like it taste big like ass, that. doesn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to talk no, about no, no. <laughs> tasting that. Hi there. I'm in Lexington, a beautiful place, even with rain. It's raining right now. Uh, here, but the the grass is, I don't know. The grass doesn't look blue to me. Brent, does the grass look blue? No, it looks green. Why do they call it bluegrass? Maybe this guy driving this truck can tell us why why they call it bluegrass. So they call it bluegrass because at certain times of the year, at at a certain angle, the grass will look blue. I've seen it for myself. It must be the iced tea they're drinking is spiked with something. That's what I'm guessing. Anyway, that was Greg Peterson, big, our big-ass fan. Uh, he is, of course, um, our biggest fan in Lexington, probably the only one. in Lex- By the way, if you're listening to this and you live in the Lexington, Kentucky area, um, and you notice that I'm going to be on a trip with a layover in Lexington, reach out, and we'll uh, 
do a meetup somewhere. We just did one here. Greg contacted me and said, hey, I see you're going to be in Lexington. And uh, I'm flying with Brent Heron. And uh, First Officer Brent and I, our thing, as you know, is always to try to find great barbecue wherever we're laying over. So I, I said to uh, Greg, do you have any good barbecue places here in Lexington? And he said, well, yeah, there are a couple. And so we ended up driving up, what, about seven miles to the north to a place called Red State Barbecue. And, man, it was excellent. I had the uh, uh, double-smoked brisket and some pulled pork. And uh, let's see, Greg, what did you have? I had the pulled pork and the regular brisket. Okay, and then, Brent, what did you have? Of course, you always have pulled pork, so what did you have? Eventually, I had brisket. Yeah, he really threw me off there. But he had his standard size of baked beans and potato salad. And uh, I don't know. What uh, What do you think, Brent? What What would your rating be? Well, it's up there pretty high, um, especially since we really hadn't had any in a while. So uh, I don't know. Uh, it's probably in the 8.5, 9 range anyway. I would say for sure. Yeah, it was really good. Some of the better barbecue that Brent and I have, uh, have eaten together. Anyway... Uh, as I always say, it's uh, more than just eating great food. It's also, you know, getting together with people that have similar interests. And, of course, ours is sewing. No, wait, that's not right. We uh, Ours is aviation. So um, talked a little bit about aviation. Not a lot. We more, mostly just got caught up with our families and what's going on with our own personal lives. But, oh, hey, now we're driving, as I mentioned before, and... We're pulling into this area. It doesn't look like a hotel, Greg. It looks familiar to me, though. These warehouses back here on this uh, this uh, land plot. It kind of looks to me like we're heading over to the world headquarters for the big-ass fan company. I recognize that yellow paint. And I'm sure that here in a moment... I'm, oh, yep. I see the statues. Uh, that's one of Nick's favorite pictures of me, sitting on one of those fannies that you have out there, those statues of the donkey and, uh, excuse me, the ass. And, of course, um, it's not a very flattering photo of me at all. And that's why Nick likes to flash it up there every time we talk about the Big Ass Fan Company. Anyway, so here we are. We're pulling up in front of the Big Ass Fan Company. And so we're going to get a the five, the nickel tour, he said. So... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and end this here in a moment. Uh, Greg, anything else uh, you'd like to say to the community? No, it's just great to have Jeff here in town. Uh, I think uh, over dinner we managed to solve all the world's problems, so look for that coming soon to uh, to a podcast near you. Yeah, although most of it's secret. We can't really divulge True. all of our plans for the saving the world. And then, uh, Brent, just say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Perfect. Uh, so we had a great time. Thank you, Greg, for picking us up. And uh, Brent, guess what he got? He got one of these things. Um, Fanny. Fanny from... I would have uh, been so disappointed excellent. if he hadn't. Yes. Where is my Fanny? So, oh, look at that. Nix is right at hand. Now, Nick C. Mine isn't oh. bright yellow like yours. If you've got a, I've got a Christmas one. Mine's more khaki. Oh. Hmm. Mine's the same color as Nick's, but I, I, I'm not certain where. 
Well, they this, changed the this color. This must be the new batch because what? this is one of the ones yeah. that he brought to the uh, 500th episode when he, uh, when he came What color down. did Nick say? Khaki. Hmm? Car key? key? Isn't that what you used to start your car? Yeah, that's what I used to start the car. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you Americans, you're so funny. <laughs> well, I don't. I have, yeah, I'm not sure. I've never heard that color before. Do you mean like khaki? Khaki. What you can call oh, it is that what khaki? You're is there an R in khaki? khaki? It's khaki. Uh, I no, there's no R in that word. It's khaki. <laughs> uh, it, look, if we started obeying like that rule, I'd have to, I'd have to st- stop you. <laughs> say fifty percent of your words. Oh, uh, let's <laughs> like don't start treacherous George Washington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was I was saying to someone that uh, that you always say that we sound like pirates when you try to imitate the American accent, that we emphasize <laughs> our R's. And I said, yeah, but you guys, like, you don't you don't you pronounce the R's R's R at all, where they don't and then you put them where they don't belong, like in belong. Washington or wa- uh, Washer. Look, just just <laughs> listen to us and do the same, and we'll all be okay. happy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, See, the people in Boston do that, too, and we make fun of them as well. So it's okay. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I don't blame you. Anyway, um, so, oh, uh, last night, um, got back to the room, and I uh, was ed- doing more editing, and Brent uh, calls me up, and he goes, uh, hey, uh, our flight uh, tomorrow morning has uh, been canceled. I went, oh, okay, that's weird. And he said, yeah, the flight coming in tonight uh, it has been canceled, uh, because of something, some damage incurred uh, re- related to the weather system that went through yesterday. So we're not sure exactly what that means. But what it meant to us was that uh, we didn't have to get up at 3.30 in the morning for a 4.45 or uh, whatever pickup time. Um, and they had it set to uh, deadhead home today on a later flight that left. Uh, that was scheduled to leave at 8.34 in the morning. So that worked out well. And then the Greenville Spartanburg turn that we were supposed to do at the end of it uh, was canceled as well because we weren't going to make it back into uh, Atlanta in time to do that. So win-win on that one. Sometimes reroutes work out for you. Um, And then uh, just before we move on, um, like to mention that next week, uh, flying with Brent again, and it's another three-day trip on Tuesday, day two, of next week's trip, we're going to be laying over in White Plains, New York, Westchester, Westchester. So Westchester County, is that what yep. they yep. call that? Westchester County. Okay. Yeah. And um, so David Lieb, uh, who was in the chat room, maybe he still is, uh, said he contacted me and said, I see you're going to be in White Plains. And I said, yes, and he's there for work. And of course, we know someone uh, near and dear to the APG, which is... Uh, uh, who does our uh, intros every week, Radio Roger. He lives City. in White Plains in uh, New York City area. And uh, also uh, a couple of others had uh, contacted me regarding uh, a possible meetup in White Plains. So we are definitely doing a meetup in White Plains um, next Tuesday. So if you're in the area, um, you know, look for, I don't know how we're going to disseminate details, but we're going to we're going to meet up somewhere. Acme Giant is based in White Plains. Oh, Acme Giant is based out of there. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. I had forgotten sure, that. So. Wait a minute. That can't I be right. I wouldn't know, though. Is it really? Is it based out of? Corporate headquarters. Oh, okay. Perhaps. I didn't see any big. There, the, home, the home office? I see a bunch of uh, business jets in that air, at that airport, like billions of dollars worth of business jets. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, so we are, uh, planning, I think I, I was looking up some places to go and I'm thinking that this 
one of these places looks like it might fit the bill and it's called ron black's beer hall looks like they have food and beer so it, and it's close to the hotel so uh yeah that's uh, three of the essentials yeah exactly so uh until we change it to something else uh we're planning on going over to ron black's uh, if you if you think you might be going to the meetup uh send me or send a, a, a an email to meetup i think it's meetup at uh airlinepilotguy.com and uh then we'll be able to contact everybody that potentially might be doing the meetup with us and we'll tell you for sure exactly where we're going to be and what time so just wanted to mention that donna rose and a friend of hers is going to uh, be there as well not met donna rose but i know that she is part of our coffee fund cadre and uh, look forward to meeting new uh apg community members maybe ryan the uh sikorsky helicopter guy maybe he'll be able to join us as well so all right that is it for me i know it was a lot but uh just wanted to coffee fund time okay let me get over here to the soundboard and push this Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. The Coffee Fund is uh, your way to contribute to our show financially. Now, we mentioned this from time to time. If you are someone who needs the money to buy food to eat and clothing and a roof over your head or flying lessons, that's the most important of all those, uh, please don't send us any money. But if you uh, have a couple extra shekels, a couple of coins here and there, you want to support the show financially, please check out the Coffee Fund. A couple of different ways to do it. One is called the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And since our last last episode, uh, Randy Ackerman. Oh, sorry, what's that? And sorry. I don't know what happened there. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> All right, Randy Ackerman and Vigner uh, contributed to the Coffee Fund Classic method, and uh, we also have another way, another method that you can uh, participate in the Coffee Fund, and that, that is uh, via Patreon. And uh, you can learn all about that by heading over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. Captain, incoming message. Let's start our feedback with uh, this from Dan. He says, hey, APG crew, long time listeners since about APG 155. Wow, that that was a long time ago. And patron of the show. Which one were you on first, uh, Steph? You know, I can never remember this. I, I can't either. I had it written down somewhere. 153, 150. Yeah, right around yeah. that 155-ish yeah. area. Yeah, Liz will know yeah. probably faster I'll than I can it. remember she's, it she's looking it, it out. Up. She's asking her staff. It's not for whatever reason the, the the number of the show is not very memorable to me. I remember the show very mm-hmm. well, but I just can't remember the episode number. Yeah, I remember ever. we were downtown uh, Charlotte. Yeah, your memory is so wrong on that. 
I just like to say that because I know that I was wrong. <laughs> That's not not where we were no. at all. No. <laughs> but it was near Charlotte. It was at the Charlotte Airport. Um, it was at the Charlotte Airport, yes. Okay, so uh, Dan continues, forgive me if this has been mentioned in any previous episode, but I searched the APG archives and the APG Slack channels for any reference and have come up empty, so I thought I'd write in. Uh, Steve Giordano, a self-proclaimed transactional aircraft movement guru and seemingly a holder of nearly every type rating, has a YouTube channel, Speed Tape Films, where he documents his work as a ferry pilot moving airliners around the world for various aircraft leasing companies and airlines with his business, Nomadic Aviation Group. It's a new company in 2021. Steve was previously associated with Jet Test and Transport. Uh, the Cockpit Casual YouTube series are truly short films, with each episode being incredibly well-produced with informative narration and calm jazz instrumental background music provided by his father, Philly jazz guitarist Steve Giordano Sr., and his various musical groups. Each Cockpit Casual video is usually 25 to 30 minutes long, and often just one part of a three- or four-part series. I first learned of Steve's YouTube channel after he was a guest on Flight Radar 24's AvTalk episode 123 back in August of last year. When his Twitter account was mentioned on the AvTalk, AvTalk podcast episode last week, I figured I should send some feedback in to the APG crew in case any AvGeek in the APG community would like to discover Steve's videos. He might be an interesting guest to get on the show someday. He just posted a new series of three videos in the past two weeks after three months of busy flying and presumably uh, tons of hotel video editing and voice work. And then he had a whole bunch of uh, helpful links. Again, this is Dan Renner from South Dakota. And we actually have uh, a video from his YouTube channel, uh, Steve Giordano's uh, channel, and it's Quite interesting. I'm not going to play the entire thing, but I'm going to play a little bit of it just to give you a little taste. Speed Tape Films presents. That's a, obviously about to come into land. How it all started. 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. Rolled it on. Now this is Steve Giordano's father's uh, work. It's really pretty music. My name is Steve Giordano, and I'm a ferry pilot. For as long as I could remember, I wanted to fly airplanes and travel the world. Like so many others that chose this path, it started as a childhood obsession and never really relented. If the 43-year-old me was somehow able to travel back in time to the year 2000 and tell the 23-year-old me with a fresh ATP that in 20 years he could be flying pretty much any kind of airliner on a regular basis, traveling to a new city somewhere in the world every week, have no boss, no uniform, and earn a better living than he could at the airlines, I'm not even sure that I could explain the steps he'd need to follow to get there. My journey thus far certainly wasn't planned. I'm not sure it even could have been. 
getting to this point was more a result of chance, both good and bad fortune, and a willingness to go with the flow no matter how off the beaten path it took me. Lots of great scenery in this video. It'll be in the show notes for those of you who want to uh, take a peek. I guess it really all started in 2005. I was working as an MD-80 pilot for a then-fledgling low-cost carrier in the U.S. It wasn't my dream job, but I had gotten there at a good time. The industry hadn't fully recovered from 9-11, and there was little growth elsewhere. I got in at the ground floor and quickly upgraded and got the seniority to hold a really good schedule. The money was bad, and I was looking to supplement my income to support my young family, and then somehow the universe decided I would cross paths with this guy, Bob Allen. Captain Bob. There's a little uh, little taste of cockpit casual speed tape films. And again, as I said, uh, we'll have all the links in the show notes for you to take a look. And it's definitely a channel. Uh, if, you, if you're a YouTube person, uh, like to watch YouTube uh, channels, this is a great one to, to subscribe to. It looks absolutely fantastic. The production quality looks brilliant. Mm -hmm. He's rated on so mm -hmm. many different kinds of Yeah, it sound, and the stories sound pretty interesting, too. Yeah. The content. What'd you say, Liz? He's rated on so many different kinds of planes. Oh, yeah. He's rated on so many different airplanes. Uh, yeah, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't... I mean, I find it hard to just keep current on one airplane. I don't, I don't know how this guy uh, manages to uh, to do all the, uh, all the type ratings and keep current and everything. I flew two different caravans with the same engine, but different conversions, so different switches and stuff this past weekend. And each time it's like, okay, this caravan, yes. Yeah, where, yeah. where, <laughs> okay. where is that? Yeah. Now, you know what? I hope that you did not push that button that no pilot would ever push. One of them has yeah. a button, but it must be pushed. <laughs> but it must be. And every pilot oh, does. Yeah. You know, um, uh -huh. when, uh, when I was still working, um, we flew two different types of A340, uh, and they were quite different. They were certainly different weights, and the 330 as well. As well. So um, the company made a differences card, which we kept beside the captain's seat, and it was a brilliant uh, aid memoir just to glance before you uh, you just started work glance at to remind yourself of uh, the different switches the different modes the different software so uh, that you didn't uh, kind of revert to type or revert to the last type you flew which was mm. i thought very useful yeah very well anyway thank you dan he sent this in quite some time ago so um, all those references to dates and stuff in his feedback are, are a little bit dated. So apparently my first show was 152 and I don't know why I can't remember that because that sounds like a Cessna. I should be able to remember that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's, uh, move on to this from James. Uh, he says, hello, APG crew. It's James again with a follow-up regarding questions I asked about the mostly scrapped Boeing 727 near Victorville Airport. Uh, Kilo Victor, Charlie Victor. Uh, tail number uh, or registration number November 518DA, Delta Airlines. 
I've attached my photo of the airplane as it is today and one from its glory days, just as a reference. Also, thanks for answering my questions about how commercial airline pilots log their time. Uh, right now we're showing, or Liz is showing, the uh, uh, what it looked like in its glory days um, yeah, when it was still uh, in operation at Delta Airlines. And then the second one is the one that oh, so he took in the boneyard there. It's really, it is really sad. Oh, poor airplane. Um, anyway. At, It'd still fly though, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, a little bit of paint. Put a big enough engine on it. It'll look just like that. <laughs> <laughs> so as I mentioned, he did send us some audio feedback. So I'll, why don't we play that first and then we'll answer these questions. So here we go. Hello, APG crew. It's James from sunny Southern California, codenamed VH Pilot, in Apple Valley, which is about 65 miles east of Edwards Air Force Base in the high desert. Thanks for answering my question on the 727 sitting out at Victorville Airport. I had a feeling you had flown it just by looking at it. No, that's not true. But in hearing your response, it occurred to me that back in the 80s, I would fly out of Ontario International Airport and that was back in the day before they had enclosed jetways at that airfield. You had a small terminal, you'd walk out on the tarmac, and anytime I'd take a 727, they had the back stairs open, which were built into the aircraft. And as a passenger, you could go up those stairs and find a seat from the rear of the plane, or, as most people did, they used the stairs on the truck and went in the front door. So my question is, how often did that happen with the 727s where people were given the opportunity to walk out on the tarmac and board the aircraft from the rear stairs? We're all familiar with D.B. Cooper, the hijacker on a 727 who parachuted with some money out the rear stairs. Now, what do you think the flight characteristics would be with the stairs open? Could you stop those stairs from deploying all the way? It sure seems like there would be a tremendous amount of drag by those stairs being opened. What do you think that did to the flight characteristics? Do you think the 727 was hard to handle with the stairs open in the back? Thanks again for your response. Love the show. Thanks, James. Uh, great questions regarding the old three-holer. Um, and he talked about the fact that uh, he used to fly those uh, from Ontario International Airport in the 80s. And he talked about, you know, boarding via the air stairs, which were built in at the back of the airplane. And the in my experience at uh, Acme, when we were flying the 727 in the 90s and the early 2000s, uh, the only time that we ever used, except for charters, anytime we used the air stairs for actually boarding or deplaning uh, on the 727, we were... Um, it was the uh, the shuttle version. We had a shuttle service going between New York LaGuardia, uh, Boston Logan, and Washington Reagan airports, and uh, they would use they would utilize the aft air stairs for boarding and deplaning as well as the front door. Um, but uh, and you know we used them a couple of times, as I mentioned, for like ferry flights and that kind of thing. But it wasn't a normal thing, even at places like uh, Albany, New York, before they had. Jetways, yeah, believe it or not, the the uh, the capital city of the Empire State, Albany, New York, 
for many, many years. Uh, it wasn't until I think the early 2000s that they finally got jetways. And so it was all air stairs. And uh, even there, we never used the aft air stairs. Now, we, the cleaning crews did. That was a convenient place for the cabin crews or the cabin cleaning crews to get onto the airplane while people were still deplaning. Uh, they could come up the back and start working on cleaning up the, up the, the back. back of the aircraft. And uh, uh, up the back passage, exactly. the back passageway. Yeah, you got to clean that out <laughs> every, you, every once in a while. <laughs> going there. I, I took, I had so much restraint <laughs> to not say anything along those lines. And then Nick stuff just... <laughs> you, you have to stop the, the self restraint. No, I, I, I should like that. We like just let it, it all hang out. I, I didn't even, I didn't even crack a smile. That's how good I was because that's I'm what impressed. I was thinking. Stop repressing it. Stop repressing. <laughs> as far as the, as far as the uh, air stairs being extended in flight, um, I, I don't know if there were any other instances of this occurring, you know, other than the DB Cooper famous, you know, lowering the uh, air stairs and, um, you know, jumping out the back. And then hence, uh, after that, they made the modification with the DB Cooper uh, vane, a little um, mechanical vane that uh, once the airstream was hitting it, it would move into position and lock or keep the aft air stairs from being able to drop down. So they, they didn't want that to happen again. And then once you get on the ground and the speed is below a certain speed, I don't know what the speed was, the the vein would, I guess it was a spring loaded thing. It would go to the open position and then you could open and close the uh, air stairs. And by the way, that was a, um, every time we came in, unless they were broken for some reason, uh, we would also uh, always lower the air stairs on the 727 because that was actually kind of a, uh, not kind of, it was a requirement for boarding and deplaning, um, not via those stairs, but just to keep the uh, airplane from tipping on the tail um, because of the uh, center of gravity and loading envelope and that kind of thing. Uh, so it was actually a structural thing as opposed to the mad dog. They had air stairs as well, but they weren't structurally um, effective in any way. They were just hanging when they, if it was touching the ground, it just happened to be touching the ground. It wasn't actually supporting the, uh, the airplane at all. Um, but uh, yeah, I would imagine that, lowering those stairs would you'd be able to feel it up front and i'm not sure exactly what kind of effect it would have on the handling of the aircraft but it would probably be significant i'm, I'm guessing would it discuss <laughs> i mean so all i'm thinking about I is know. i routinely fly aircraft where there are um, things on the outside of the air for, like of the airplane that are disrupting normal yeah airflow um and it doesn't really if you know it's make a big deal occurring. I mean, if you know it's occurring, it's fine. Yeah, you just compensate for it. Yeah. I and by things, I mean people. <laughs> Sometimes large groups people of people. Things. <laughs> Sometimes large <laughs> groups of people. Well, yeah, you have more experience with things hanging off of airplanes, I guess, than I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You put like six or seven people on the outside of uh, of the door in the rear of the aircraft. It uh, it definitely changes the. Um, your pitch trim characteristics. So I was going to say, because yeah, you just have to be aware of it. I flew the C-141 Starlifter that have these big giant doors that open up in the back. And then there's a ramp that comes down and, and, uh, but I never actually experienced that myself because the, I, I was flying 
the C-141 out of Travis Air Force Base back in the 80s. And Travis was the only uh, military airlift command base that uh, was not airdrop. It was only air land. So we never did any of that airdrop stuff and open up the doors and flight. So I have no idea what, what the experience is of uh, having big giant things in the airstream opening up. I would imagine it's similar to like popping a speed brake or something, maybe worse. Yeah, I expect you get a bit of turbulence from it. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought it would uh, change I, the flight characteristics I, very much. I mean, just thinking of what they look like and where they are in relationship to the rest of the aircraft and lift surfaces, yeah. I don't think it's going to make much of a difference at all, to be honest. All right. Here you go. Well, why, James. Why is it noisy? I mean, why is it noisy? Uh, uh, and you why? wouldn't even know that you had the air stairs out. <laughs> I mean, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. You'd I mean, a, a lot know, of the uh, military jets I flew, we hung all sorts of gear off. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you just, you, it didn't really affect things too much. They, um, so I, I think you get away with it without too many problems. Hmm. So nice to have these experts here. I mean, I, I'm not being. Well, it's talking... one thing I'm not familiar with. I know. It's flying just... with the steps. I know. Me neither. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't really have many experiences at all. I don't know. Hey, Nick uh, Camacho, do you uh, hang yeah. things out of your airplane? <laughs> well, they fly with the doors open a lot. No, but I was going to say, I've got similar experiences to Steph, you know, between having people hang off the side of the airplane and dragging around. Uh, but you're not you know, a skydiving pilot. Why do people uh, flying in your airplane want to get out of your airplane? Well, we try to escape. They just see who's <laughs> flying it. Yeah. Can we get out of here? You don't have a parachute. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when those guys go out of the C-47 on the static line, they actually do go out and they've got this big thing called a deployment bag, a D-bag. And when you've got 20 or 22 guys <laughs> going out of the airplane, you end up with basically like this parachute looking thing trailing back behind the airplane that you got to pull back in. And it, I would say it has pretty limited impact on the airplane. It's kind of like Steph says, it's going to necessitate a trim change. And it's once you like go, f once that transience is over, it's just kind of airplanes back to flying is in a similar manner just with a different trim state i had forgotten that you fly the c-47 and do those <laughs> demonstrations and that kind of thing but um i don't know about the d-bag thing i don't i'm not going to touch that. i know all about d-bags <laughs> <laughs> well you are a doctor <laughs> oh, uh, possible work that into the show title in some way. Show <laughs> Let's see. I haul boxes is on the uh, C-130. It's quite noticeable when the ramp opens. Yeah. Well, I should hope so. You have to depressurize the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Is the 130 even do pressurized? They, do they pressure? I don't I think those say, airplanes I don't know are that pressurized. The C-130 yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it is. I know. I, it is. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, Palm Pilot Visor. That's an interesting handle for Palm Pilot. I used to. Have I know. One. I was going to think that was my. Uh, I miss my Palm Pilot. Me I too. I was not. Yeah. A, I was not a BlackBerry person. I was Palm. I pilot. was a Palm Pilot guy yeah. as well. Well, because we're pilots, so we always would graduate towards a Palm Pilot. That's true, wouldn't we? Yeah. I mean, essential. <laughs> And uh, this mysterious jet noise guy says, I know a few D-Bags. <laughs> he knows where they hang out, too, yeah. apparently. I think he's talking about us, actually. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Rick. What can we say? 
Oh, my. Uh, actually, in the Air Force, if you debug someone, you pull their trousers down. So oh. I don't know if that uh, I always look forward to that. Uh, equates to anything. <laughs> A casual debugging. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Should we move on? We this should. Is, this is as a misdemeanor. <laughs> yes. I think it is time for us to move on. And we have some more audio feedback from one of the friends of the show, uh, a, an expert podcaster in his own right. He has several uh, award-winning professional podcasting shows at the uh, probably the best podcasting network in the world, the uh, TWIT, the This Week in Technology Network, uh, Aunt Pruitt. And uh, he sent us in some, I, I, I have to preface something. Um, apparently he relates to some inside baseball because apparently Nick must have sent him some questions. And uh, so that's what he's talking about um, in the latter part of his audio feedback. So maybe Nick can explain, Captain Nick can explain this after we play this audio feedback. Here we go. Hey, what's going on, APG crew? This is Ant Pruitt, and I wanted to send in a bit of feedback because, um, well, it's actually a couple of things. First, I want to say congratulations to all of you for achieving 500 episodes recorded. I know I'm a little late, but don't judge me. I just didn't get around to sending my congratulations. But yeah, congratulations on getting 500 episodes under your belt and continuing to go even though there's only like three people listening to your show. So, yeah, good on you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Well, thank you, Ant. That's uh, all of his feedback. Um, let's move <laughs> yeah, on excellent. to the next yeah, thank you. item. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. I know you guys get a lot of support, and it's well-deserved. So, congratulations again. Next, I want to give a shout-out to Miss Liz, because, man, bless her heart, she the stuff that she has to deal with with getting that show produced and technical directed good lord I mean when I'm not doing my own show I do technical directing and some producing for some of the other shows on the network from time to time so I know what goes into all of that and <laughs> one show in particular can be quite a challenge because our main host, he is a bit ADD and he knows it. And uh, yeah, so you have to try to keep him on task and things like that. And he does a good job with it for the most part. But every now and then it's pretty funny to watch him go off the rails. But you, Captain Jeff, dude, that's some next level off the rails. <laughs> hey, good grief. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Um, lastly, I wanted to basically take this opportunity to answer an email that I got from Captain Nick. First off, Captain Nick, send your questions to my personal email address. Don't send them to work. Um, had I seen it in my personal bots, I would have been able to answer it a lot quicker. Uh, I mean, you, you have the privilege of having my personal email. So just use that going forward. Thank you. All right. Now on to your question. Before we continue here, a little slight interruption. 
Nick, would you go ahead and give me his personal email address? And we're going to put that in the show notes so everybody can use it as well. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I have so many questions for you, Ant. <laughs> yeah, None of them absolutely. are related to anything that you do. Actually, for... I'm going to I'm gonna sell it. So anyone oh. who wants it, just send me 20 bucks and I'll give you Ant's personal email. Yeah, you should make a little, a little cash. Yeah, it'll, it'll help pay for the thing he's just about to talk about. Okay, well, let's hear what he's about to talk about. The answer, in my opinion, would be to check out SanDisk and check out OWC. OWC is pretty well known with working with the Apple side of things. Um, I think it stands for One World Computing, but OWC, they have a lot of external drives. And you want something that's going to be Thunderbolt 3 or 4, okay? But I think if you go with the SanDisk side of things, they have a, a, a G-Raid, I think. Hold on, let me look. Yeah, it's a G-Raid, G-Raid 2. They have a bunch out there that are decently priced, and SanDisk is pretty reliable. So that would be my recommendation because it's a better value dollar for dollar, in my opinion. But it's up to you as far as what you decide on. So... That's my two cents. Oh, and also, I hate to bring this to your attention, but you have now been dethroned as the most downloaded episode of my show, Hands-On Photography. You've been dethroned by the episode where we watched Paint Dry. <laughs> Kidding. Bad pun. But yeah, you have wow. been dethroned by it. That's it's been, yeah. been great mm. watching um, the show grow, and I appreciate you and I appreciate the APG crew for continuing to support my show. So not anymore <laughs> for the support. <laughs> and uh, yeah, speaking of my show, twitch.tv slash hot. Stop. 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 For hands on. Well, what is that? What is he doing here? <laughs> yeah, He's doing a, a self promotional thing. Is, we'll have he, all that information God, in the show notes <laughs> since it was so rudely talked over by. Well, <laughs> check it out. Subscribe. Tell your friend, tell your enemy. Yes, I just plugged my show. Yes, you did. <laughs> you did. <laughs> it's not like anybody else does oh, that. Shaky man. Okay. I'm going to turn this mic off. Thank God. Catch y'all later. Thanks for your love. <laughs> Thanks, Ant. <laughs> we, we kid, of course. He uh, is so, yeah. such a great guy, such a nice guy, so um, knowledgeable about photography. In fact, he uh, his main podcast or main show is called Hands On Photography uh, under the Twit uh, Network umbrella. But he also is uh, very frequently on uh, This Week in Google and uh, sometimes on uh, their, the, the, uh, the big show that they do at the Twit Network, the uh, This Week in Tech. Um, yeah, I've heard him many times on, on that. Sunday night. He's very funny, uh, very and very. Um, he's a very humble chap. Very, he is. Um, you know, a, a very pleasant, very pleasant man to listen to because he has no ego mm-hmm. and he's, uh, yeah, he's just super. And you could tell by uh, the way he's mm-hmm. answered that question of mine, just how great he is. Very laconic. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that your show was outperformed by the watching paint dry. Yeah, that was sad, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> looks like you took his advice and got the G raid from OWC. Uh, that is from uh, Scandisk. Oh, Scandisk. Uh, yes. I'm sorry. How much? Uh, how much was that? It is. Uh, don't ask. 
I just did. It looks it was. heavy and expensive. <laughs> we'll just say that. All right. I think 600 uh, pounds it, plus. It, it's, this is uh, 12 terabytes, and it's about 700 bucks. Wow. 650 bucks. 12 terabytes. Some, so wait a minute. Yeah, so you're so this thing, and then the the chair that's like oh, ten thousand dollars or something, and Apple computers. Man, wow, I am certainly in the wrong field. I could be retired. <laughs> I know. This I, had I, been an I wish I lived in pilot. the UK and was retired. Right. Well, uh, we get a pension over here, and we get free health service. So don't forget that helps a lot. I'm not. I don't know what you're. This thing weighs. No what? This thing weighs. <laughs> A lot. It is. I mean, it really is heavy. Could do but, some. Uh, could do some weights with it. You could. You could. But I'm not okay. going to because it costs so much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's to go with the new machine that uh, I'm acquiring when eventually Apple deliver it. Uh, it's just that I behind this machine that I'm looking at, I have got uh, 16 <laughs> terabytes, and they're uh, big. They're raid one so in fact they're mirrored so uh, i've got about eight terabytes that copied onto another eight terabytes as a precaution because so she always need backup and uh, there there's less than 10 percent left so I, I need a new a new mass storage device and mass thank you uh, and for that recommendation i hope this works i haven't plugged it into anything yet <laughs> but we'll see wow um yeah he lovely man uh he didn't answer any of the other questions <laughs> i had by the way just that i'd mentioned he's that. a busy man you know yes he is other he things is to indeed, do yes uh the watch the watch paint dry podcast i think is just uh just ahead of the watch grass grow podcast <laughs> which they're is neck the and neck with each other yeah. behind yeah. me yeah. way yes. ahead of the episode that Captain Nick was on the hands-on <laughs> photography. By the way, uh, you should check that out. Uh, Captain Nick mm -hmm. was uh, a great... Yes, it'd be nice to get back above paint drying. <laughs> that would be good. Go so download go it. Go and find the, the one I was on. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't know what he called it, but it was something to do with pet photography. Ah. The old mm -hmm. pilot or something like that. I did I did listen to that or did watch that one. You know, I have not yet listened oh, to that. Sorry, Captain Nick. I have to admit that. But I need yeah. to. I'll do that before the next show. Why do I bother? I don't Retail know. <laughs> oh, Liz is telling us that is it is now time for this week's installment. Speaking of paint drying. Uh, speaking of paint drying, she says. <laughs> wow. <laughs> If any I could reach all these arrows that are sticking in my back. We thought Stella was the backstabber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right between me, the really shoulder blades, me. that one. It's definitely Liz. Yeah. Ah, okay, She's anyway. A professional. Uh, so this week's episode or installment of the Plain Tale is Don't Upset the Jet Two. <laughs> <laughs> Nice one, Jim. <laughs> oh, wait. Okay, I'll do it right. Don't upset the jet. Two. The old pilot's plane tales. Don't upset the jet. Two. Last week, we chatted about historic incidents that led to aircraft upsets. One definition of which would be when... An airplane in flight unintentionally exceeds the parameters normally experienced in line operations or training. 
Regulators around the world have realised that airline pilots are sometimes poorly equipped to recognise or deal with aircraft upsets, illustrated by the number and severity of loss-of-control incidents. As a result, programmes of training now exist to educate pilots in the dangers of aircraft upsets, how to avoid them, and finally, both theoretical and practical exercises that allow them to experience and recover from upsets. It is one thing to experience upset training in a flight simulator, but it has considerable limitations when it comes to replicating a real event. Not only is the flight modelling unlikely to accurately represent a real aircraft's behaviour when flying in a regime well beyond any actual flight tests that were undertaken, but it is impossible to simulate many aspects of real flight, like sustained high or low G-forces. EASA and the United Kingdom Civil Aviation Authority now require all pilots studying to become air transport pilots to undertake an advanced upset and recovery training course, which includes three hours of flight training in a suitable aerobatic aircraft. To find out more, I joined listener Basim, who had flown over from Jordan to go through his advanced UPRT course at the British Aerobatic Academy at Falmere Airfield near Cambridge. I started by asking why he was there. Aside from uh, AUPRT being a requirement for uh, freshly minted IASA pilots, IASA licenses, and to a certain degree I, I expect even in the UK, uh, for myself, uh, many airlines would require you to have an AUPRT course for employment. In my, uh, in my case, what I was looking for is to really sharpen my uh, training and uh, experience towards handling upset uh, and recovery through this uh, training. No matter how elaborate uh, of uh, training you have during your uh, basic uh, PPL, CPL, You'll, you will never experience or go into the depth of uh, details that goes into an advanced uh, upset recovery and prevention training. A point amplified by Adrian Willis, the chief pilot of the Academy, when I spoke to him. This, this is um, a course that's mandated by EASA and, and now also the CAA. It's been in existence uh, since December 2019. Um, it took about 20 years for the industry to get their act together and, and um, mandate it. And now nobody can do a type rating in EASA or the UK without first having attended the course. Adrian and Abasum went on to explain how this type of course is an essential component of upset training. Well, over the last uh, 30 or 40 years, there's a history of, of um, airliners crashing um, caused by basically mishandling as aircraft have become more and more sophisticated and automated to a certain extent some of the seat and uh, seat of the pants flying skills have died out uh, and this is a, um, a short course it's only three hours of flying and five hours of um, ground school that gets people back into the habit of flying by the seat of the pants and, and, and following procedures in the event of a loss of control. 
Uh, this is the the first one they do. This is the on aircraft uh, advanced upset recovery course. Uh, but once they've completed this course, they'll um, f- fairly frequently, certainly every every six months, be doing the same thing on a simulator. But the simulator doesn't really make sense until they've experienced the on aircraft training. I mean, for example, you can't feel G on a simulator. So we, we we're showing them what. Uh, the various G loads feel like, and we're showing them how an aircraft performs when you unload it, and and we're, we're also introducing some startle and surprise elements. Again, startle and surprise is not quite the same thing in a simulator. So this is just the beginning of their journey along the advanced upset recovery training road, but the rest of it is done on on simulators. Most pilots would probably get away with just doing some unusual attitudes. Uh, nose up, nose down, how to uh, immediately react to that uh, condition. Even through uh, type rating, uh, some uh, type rating courses, of all of them would have a UPRT session or two that also handles uh, jet, uh, uh, jet conditions. Now, what I can say up to now, the, the synthetic nature of either does not give you the same experience. I just finished my first sortie and I'm getting into the second. It does not give you that hands-on experience that will help you to, to unlock this training when once, God forbid, you're in that condition. Beside the fact that there are actual physiologically, I mean, you feel much heavier. I mean, trying to lifting. I mean, the instructor I was with this morning uh, told me, just try to lift your hand and see how this feels. And uh, genuinely, once you are even slightly familiar with it, it will help you to get about the startle effect and get on with doing what needs to be done. Experiencing these G-loading does not mean that you are unable to control the aircraft. In the small aircraft that we are handling today, it is designed to be controllable at these conditions. So obviously you are able to control it. In a, in a jet uh, transport category airplane, it might be a little bit different. But the fact is, you haven't lost your ability to maneuver or to manipulate the airplane because you are experiencing G. That that might be the case, but not because of the G-loading you're experiencing. You still have command over yourself. But if you haven't experienced it before, you'll probably get too worked up with the fact that you are uh, being pushed or pulled or whatever physiologically you are experiencing. I was curious to know what sort of reaction to the training Adrian saw, particularly since Basim had admitted that he was a bit nervous about this type of flying. They will love it. Uh, um, in, in fact, we, we do about a thousand uh, courses a year for, for upset recovery, and about 30% of them come back and uh, choose to do an aerobatic rating course as well. And, and also it's, it's proper flying. You know, they've just predominantly they've just finished their training, and they've been sat in a simulator uh, or a multi-engine aircraft doing instrument flying, and now they're looking out of the window at very strange attitudes. And you know, proper flying is really great fun for them. I slept well yesterday, but uh, not easily. I mean, I still have my second sort, and I'm thinking spin recovery. I don't want to go into a spin. I've never been into a spin. I tried it on a simulator, and it doesn't feel. Uh, uh, right, but I doubt that this little worry is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing to be not to take it for granted, even if you are an aerobatic pilot. I mean, there's this sense of, uh, you know, to be on your toes. That okay, 
that's a great machine and obviously it's within its envelope it's designed to be robotic whether the grub or the extra uh, but then again uh... i found basem's instructor a polish air force x mig 29 pilot who had recently joined baa and was now teaching the easa upset syllabus and asked him how his students got on and what he thought of the importance of this training it was reflected in Basem's comments, even though he had personally borne the cost of flying to the UK in order to participate in it. Maybe upside down situation is not really common during commercial career, but still, you can try it in in some small some small plane and even learn how to how to recover from them. Yeah, most of them really enjoy uh, this kind of flying and appreciate the, the way of, uh, of training. It depends mainly uh, on the health of indiv- individuals. So, yeah, so most pilots appreciate the, the, the way of training. Sometimes there uh, could be some with their sickness, but that's all. Yeah, I think it's really important because it's still better to experience some upsets uh, first on some smaller craft, just uh, familiarized with them and, and and learn how to recover from them instead of uh, of real life, right? Or, and I'm sure that uh, you are unable to to learn how to recover from upsets and. Uh, and how any upsets uh, just feels on simulators. So I think it's a really important part of training for for commercial pilots. I will tell you one thing, aside from AUPRT training per se, many, especially uh, academy uh, graduates, uh, not necessarily with uh, cadet programs that are in the pipeline towards uh, an aviation career, have this uh, misconception that once you get into the airlines, you're not necessarily all this automation and, you know, advanced systems that is on the aircraft will help you fly the plane. In fact, one of the things that they point out about the Air France 447 flight, which kicked off this system of UPRT, before it used to be called unusual uh, unusual attitude, right? Uh, now it's the whole system that is specified by AKO, by AASA, even the FAA. And in the 447, one of the most memorable things that I remember from the accident, if you remember, the, if you go through the transcript, one of the first officers said, we're glad we're on a 3330, because if it is, it will help them out of the situation. Well, they got themselves into, by the way, they, they responded to the malfunction that they've experienced. So what I can say for sure and attest to that this uh, course helps the pilot bring them back from this over-reliance on not only automation, because automation might be the reason why you're in an unusual situation, but to go back to the basics of flying, because this is what it is, really. Especially for a freshly minted pilot like myself, who I have no operational experience yet, uh, it seems only logical for me to be ready with that tool with my hand. Basem gave me an idea of the types of manoeuvres that they would look at in the air, some of which were basic stability demonstrations, to remind him that in many cases his aircraft had no innate desire to plummet earthwards, and if he just let go then things might end up better than if he fought with the controls. 
But one of the interesting things that we've done today was um, to experience firsthand the stability embedded into the design of the aircraft. You know, what we get in the, I'm not sure about yourself, but if you go through the ATPL exams, you go through all the theory behind the flight with longitudinal stability, spiral stability, stability, lateral stability, but you've never experienced them firsthand. And that's what we did today as what part of the exercise is just to understand that the aircraft is designed to uh, have to be stable towards uh, after an upset. And you experience it firsthand and you get this uh, fugoid uh, isolation, you know, where you upset the aircraft's uh, trajectory and it just keeps going towards its upset, which gives you the indication that, or at least in some situation, maybe you don't need to make any inputs to the aircraft. Maybe, in fact, and that's why you have the pilot-induced error, right? Uh, sometimes maybe the right course of action is just to leave it be and it will uh, go back to its... Uh, so that was one of the exercises. Today. I still have four more to do today. Uh, you have the recovery from uh, incipient spins, uh, unusual recover, unusual attitude recovery, high nose high, nose down, spin recovery, which... <laughs> I can't say I'm looking forward to, but for sure I will, uh, something I need to go through. The chief pilot, Adrian, explained how this practical upset training dovetails with future training in a simulator. One of the key things in the advanced upset recovery course, though, uh, is to provide training that's compatible with the training they're going to receive on the simulator at a later date. So we're simulating flying in a bigger aircraft. So, you know, we, we do the first hour in a grob side by side and we do hour two and three predominantly in, in extras. Now, the extra has quite a fast rate of roll uh, and an airliner doesn't. So we simulate an airliner by constraining the rate of roll somewhat. But the, the extra is, is perfect for the job because, of course, you can let the student take it further than you can in a more fragile aircraft. Well, one exercise which is um, quite enlightening for the for the student pilot uh, is where we demonstrate the effect of unloading during a roll. So what we'd do is we'd raise the nose 45 degrees and then apply a gentle amount of roll to, to simulate a, an airliner, but no backstick, no rudder, and showing them how much pitch attitude they lose. And typically after 180 degrees, they'd be pointing vertically down. We'll, we'll then repeat it, but unloading to half a G and demonstrate that we can do a whole 360 degrees before it gets in the same position, but also that the unloading gives them a faster rate of roll. It's particularly important if you're flying something like a, an Airbus. The routines we're teaching them, you know, the, the procedure we're teaching them, obviously are very basic because they've got to remember it in several years' time when they're startled and surprised and put under pressure. Uh, and it's the same procedure that they'll, be, uh, they'll have reinforced in the simulator. Adrian commented on where he thinks that practical advanced upset training will go next, and then he and Basim gave us some final thoughts on the course. Uh, yes, I believe in the future it's quite likely that existing pilots will be required to do some on-aircraft upset recovery training. At the moment, it's all new entrants. So somebody who's been flying for 10, 15 years will never have uh, seen it or, or experienced it. And it'd be great for, the, for these older pilots, more experienced pilots, to get an opportunity to taste it as well. A lot of people are anxious when they first arrive. And a lot of people do give us their lunch back. But 
after three hours, they, they, they have all thoroughly enjoyed themselves and learned a great deal and more capable of being an airline pilot. Because of the background I have, I come from an aviation background and I'm stepping in at a later time of my life. So I have to basically be prepared for what's to come. And when you look at the prerequisites that many airlines have, in fact, one of the two airlines that I've applied for already, who do not require high, uh, I mean, they accept low hour pilots, uh, they both had AUPRT as part of their uh, uh, prerequisites uh, for it. But even if there was no prospects for it, as I told you, you have to be equipped with these uh, experiences because part of in the accident that are related to upset uh, or an unusual attitude uh, condition, the startle effect and this uh, biases that and the natural tendencies that we have to push the nose down while we shouldn't or the other way around. There is no way, I, I mean, sadly, we cannot talk to those who uh, crash, but if I was to put myself in their shoes at that time, I probably would have done exactly what they've done. So how can I do it differently? I mean, uh, and that's why I'm here today. My thanks to Adrian Willis, chief pilot of the British Aerobatic Academy, his instructor, Adrian, the amazing 1,000-hour Polish MiG-29 display pilot of RIAT 2012, 15 and 16, and of course, Basem from Jordan, who is getting close to the end of his long journey through commercial pilot training, and we wish him luck in his search for future employment. I think they're looking for some MiG-29 pilots uh, over in that part of the world. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. You know, that's great. You're such a great interviewer, uh, Captain Nick. That was, uh, that was awesome stuff. Well, thanks very much. Um, Basin was uh, very uh, clued in to what he was doing, actually, which I, I take my hat off to him because there's not a lot of people who would come from a completely different background. He's a, um, it, by uh, originally an engineer in the uh, telecom um, industry. And he's decided, uh, you know, he made enough money to and saved enough to... Uh, follow his dream uh, quite late in life he's got a lovely wife and kids uh, back home in uh, Jordan to uh, fund his own training and um, he, he's nearly completed it so uh, and but he was actually very um, very eloquent uh, considering English is of course his second language and very clued up in uh, in what was going on so he understood exactly the importance of all this and of course uh, adrian willis who uh, runs this particular uh, training agency um very very nice guy uh, and uh, in fact uh, i interviewed him uh, just after he'd been up with the civil aviation authority examiner uh, to go <laughs> through a, a check ride uh, so i was amazed how calm he was i'd have been a, <laughs> a bit of a wreck after one of those uh, and um, then uh, rather shy Adrian, our MiG-29 pilot. They, they were three uh, really professional people, uh, and I was uh, thoroughly impressed with them all. Um, and I, I hope that came across in the interview. A couple of, it did. A, a couple of things I want to say is that um, in the 
airline flying world, we're flying, you know, transport category airplanes. Uh, I've, and we come from all different backgrounds to this place. And I always thought that my experience as a military pilot was uh, priceless because I got to experience unusual attitudes from the very beginning in pilot training. And I thought that that experience uh, was, you know, just, you, you can't, you can't, you, it's, you can't replace it with anything except now that they're doing this kind of a, a training program. I think the point that he made about the fact that you can do this stuff in the simulators, which was what we're doing all around the, all the airlines in the world are doing this simulator upset recovery training, but you don't have the G forces that you really experience when you're in an upset. And that's so cool that they're doing these kind of programs where you're actually in a real airplane, really pulling G's when you're going through all these unusual attitudes and recovering from them. And that is so important. And, uh, that's the, uh, as close as you can get to the, the military kind of training that you and I received, uh, captain Nick. Uh, absolutely, and they're doing them in in truly aerobatic aircraft as well. Um, I EASA in uh, certainly the United Kingdom doing it. I'm not sure it's a compulsory. It's not uh, in in America. It should yet. be the FAA. It really should. The be. only yeah, uh, I, only CFIs yeah. are required to do it in the United States. Okay. Okay. Um, anything below that, it's not a. No. I have a question for you then, Nick. Uh, see, spin training, you um, said? The um, uh, spinning. Do you guys do spins at all? Or is that something that's not even a requirement anymore? Uh, I have. Yeah, I know you have, but. Oh, I'm sorry. You're talking to the other Nick. No, I'm talking about you, Camacho. Okay. Um, <laughs> Camacho. Camacho, listen man. <laughs> listen to me, man. Um, I'm listening. So uh, <laughs> as far as uh, CFI training and that kind of is, is getting into a spin and, you know, doing a spin recovery even part of the curriculum anymore or requirements if you're going to become a cfi okay it is okay good right but yeah if you're just doing private pilot it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. not a requirement for any other yeah <laughs> it's no, not a requirement you, to you, even you see could, it, but i've so alone. i've done spin training uh-huh. because i think it's important yeah 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 you're you're kind oh, of yeah. doing a lot of uh, flying on the edge kind of stuff out there mm, stuff yeah, so it's yeah, very yeah, important yeah but uh, if you're going to just aim straight at the uh, airlines and you're going to do direct path without being a CFI, you're going to try and just do a, an approved course, mm-hmm. are you ever going to uh, encounter this type of aerobatic um, maneuvering? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not uh, on purpose. I mean, in a commercial <laughs> license, you got to go to... For a but I mean, that's the whole point, right? Like, no one expects... Exactly. You're not expecting to do it. Right. But the point is that you could find yourself in this situation, and if it if if you find yourself there and you have never experienced it before, the odds aren't yeah. that it ends well. I, I, yeah, exactly. I think that's ha- half the startle factor is that you're suddenly experiencing things that you've never done before. You'd never dream that your airliner would suddenly be in a two or three G or perhaps even more maneuver, and you've now got to recover from that. That. That aspect of it, um, Basin was uh, particularly taken with uh, the fact that he had now felt how hard G was, and uh, he had proved to himself that he could he could still maneuver, he could still get, use the controls, which um, he wasn't certain he would be able to do that in the real case. Well, he, he now knows; he knows what it feels like, and if ever he ended up in a 
a high G spiral, um, perhaps he would, um, you know, have no have much less problem uh, recovering. So uh, I personally think that practical flying is always good uh, and unusual positions in real aircraft are great. Um, they only get three hours. That's the compulsory requirement is to do three hours. And then everything else is done in a simulator. And the problem with the simulator is, of course, that the actual aircraft have never been flight tested be into these uh, extreme um, regimes of flight. So the, the, the simulators are not particularly well modelled. No one really knows what a lot of these aircraft do when they get, you know, down to 50 knots upside down, for example, or whatever. Um, so, you know, you, you have to take your simulator training with a pinch of salt. The simulator may not replicate anywhere near what a real airplane will end up doing if you end up in a really uh, un difficult, unusual position. It'd be great to be uh, able to do that, but obviously that's not practical. <laughs> no, no, yeah. yeah. And that's exactly right, because you could end up losing the aircraft because we're taking talking about regimes of flight where bits start mm -hmm. coming off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Structural so uh, the is simulator is not the be-all and end-all, despite the fact that everyone gets simulator training. And uh, I love the fact that <laughs> Adrian Willis uh, said he would love to see the older pilots do this. I think a lot of the older pilots would look upon it <laughs> with a certain amount of reluctance because they're... <laughs> <laughs> they're about to go and turn upside down perhaps for the first time in a 30 or 40 year career but uh, you know I, I personally think that's a perfectly uh, you know an excellent way because after all they're the guys with flying experience that would be expected to recover their aircraft uh, not the young first officers uh, because all the, even though they've had more training than their captains you know you do wonder where the emphasis ought to be I am concerned, Nick, uh, Captain Nick. Um, looks like that chair has uh, moved positions. Um, <laughs> <in the> <laughs> it's, it's got a mind of its own. May have, yes, may it, have been an earthquake. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, the sun was shining in that direction, <laughs> okay. so I thought I'd sp spin it round for you. An unusual attitude of uh, office chair. There you go. But thanks very much indeed to the three guys I chatted yeah, to. Yeah, that was great. That was awesome. To give me their time. I look forward to part three. Uh, no, no oh, part three. No part That's three. It. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think a couple of things to note about spin training. You know, Rick made a comment about unloading the wing. Uh, and there, I think one of the things with spins is it's kind of like a stall, right? It's when you get that startle factor, and that is very real. Uh, when you're a low time pilot in an airplane, right? And something, the airplane does something that you don't expect, like in a stall, if it breaks and the nose goes down, your initial response is to correct it, right? By pulling back. Yeah. And I think it's kind of the same way in a spin as well. The, the, uh, the correct inputs to, um, get out of a spin are maybe not quite, um, th they aren't like your immediate response. So it's something that you, like, you can read about it in a book, but it's even better if you go and do it, and then it's even better beyond that if you go and stay proficient in it. Because, I, you know, obviously, bit like big airplanes like you guys are in, it's a little different, it's a lot different story, but small airplanes, um, that's one of the bigger um, fatality issues in small airplanes is stalls and spins, 
And the reason is because they're close to the ground. It's not that they're yeah. inherently dangerous, right? No it's just if you recover. get into that, yeah, if you get into that situation and you recover incorrectly, or you don't have room to recover. Um, so, you know, like the training I think is a good step, but I think for it to really be um, really effective, I think you need to maintain some level of proficiency at it versus just, you know, being able to do it once or doing it once 20 years ago or something. So that when that instant happens, if you're close to the ground, based to final turn, right, is when it always happens yeah. mm -hmm. in GA airplanes. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're three or 400 feet off the ground, and that's the time that it becomes a deadly issue and you have to put the correct inputs in immediately so you don't meet the ground. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Nick. Um, I'd love to see every pilot uh, a requirement for them, if not annually, then perhaps biannually. But, of course, you're, you're going to really – had an awful lot of resistance from the airlines who have to pay for all this training. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, I, I, I would love to see... especially for something that's not a, a, you know, that base to final turn in GA aircraft is not the same as a final approach for an airliner. You know, it's it's right. a bit different there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I still think it's invaluable. And I think, um, I think pilots who are concerned about it and thinking about it and interested in being proficient at these recovery techniques will seek out the training to do it, whether it's mandated or not. Highly recommended. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I, I can't agree um, more. Uh, so I hope that came out in the, in the two stories we've had. Mm -hmm. So um, if you are um, a pilot who, uh, you know, works at this for a living or just does it for fun, um, you know, it's it's worth just paying a few uh, hundred bucks and finding a decent school with aerobatic aircraft and perhaps um, asking them to give you a few hours doing this just to, um, you know, give yourself the knowledge because in aviation, there's, you know, there's so much to learn. But this is, for me, up in the, yep. the top ranks of essential knowledge. This could save your life. Yeah, and... 300 people behind you yeah you know or whatever or even if you're just flying up there in an airplane by yourself you know it'll save your yeah, life absolutely. at least yeah all right we'll quickly go on to a um, couple more pieces of feedback we'd like to get these in before steph leaves um brad sent us a couple of pieces of feedback we're going to go with the second one he says hello again apg this is my second feedback in the same day I enjoy listening to the wealth of experience provided on your podcast and appreciate the high standards you shoot for 50% accuracy. Uh, as Meeting a, those standards. <laughs> those are a high standard for us. <laughs> yeah, there you go. As a bus driver for Dr. Steph's airline by necessity and someone who will also retire in the same year as Captain Jeff, I have a question that I would love to hear your esteemed panel's opinions on. I recently planted an A321 onto Charlotte's runway 18 right in favorable weather conditions, no excuses. And as most pilots, sulked and pouted the entire drive back home. We've all done it, but how do you uh, but how do those of you on this podcast handle the aftermath emotionally? I'm guessing that the APG crew can't relate since this has not happened to them personally. <laughs> but hypothetically speaking, if it did, your thoughts. I'm also guessing other fellow aviators might benefit from your thoughts. I'm hoping that as a 25,000 plus hour pilot, Ooh. yeah, a lot of experience. That's very equivalent to, to me since we're 
retiring in the same year. I think we probably have a lot of the same experience. Uh, I can avoid expensive therapy and instead seek the consolation I am pathetically looking for on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, he laughs. Uh, hoping Captain Jeff made it home from Kansas safely. I did. Thank you. Appreciate it, Brad. Brad Nunn. He says, my best to you all. Okay, the old hard landing um, and then our hard reaction on ourselves. How do we handle that? What do we do? Mm. I I guess I'll I'll start because I had a very immediate um, answer to this in my brain. So um, unlike uh, some of the airline pilots, when I'm flying, um, some days I get up to like 25 landings in a day, Mm. sometimes 30. Um, and I guarantee you that on any one of those days, one of them's bound to be not the greatest, just because that's how it goes. Um, I have a couple of advantages working for me. One is that there are rarely other people in the airplane when that happens. So yeah, the only person with the knowledge say. of the terrible landing is truly. <laughs> it wasn't um, really a hard so landing. That makes, it, you know what, though? But it, it, it doesn't change that, like, that being hard on yourself, like, oh, that was just not the best. Like, I could do so much better than that. Um, you still have that, like personal critique and i think all of us who are our pilots are very self-critical and you know you can have 29 greaser landings in a day and that one eh, not so great landing is the only one that you remember from the entire day um but yeah not having other people on board is, is helpful because no one else is there to remind you of how terrible it was although one time i thumped one in with our uh, our chief pilot and instructor on board and he <laughs> wasn't paying any attention until i touched down and i got his attention <laughs> um <laughs> what was that that <laughs> said sorry sorry yeah that should teach you um pay attention I know. yeah pay attention pay attention to what i'm doing over here <laughs> um so yeah, you know, you're bound to do that, of course, when, you know, it's it's someone that you really want to impress on board. It just is not going to be the greatest, you know, landing ever. Um, but I mean, I guess the, the best way I deal with it is I don't really have a choice. I have to keep going back out and doing it over and over and over again. So um, if I have one that I'm like, well, that just really wasn't fantastic. Okay, well, why? You know, was it something changed weather condition wise? Was I just, you know, uh, it's, you know, middle, like three quarters of the way through the day and I'm tired and I'm letting myself not, you know, perform to my high standards. Well, that's certainly something that needs to to change and I need to pay attention to. Um, You know, was it something that I really just wasn't even sure why it wasn't such a great landing? Okay, well, look at the next one, you know, and and pay attention to everything that's going on and figure out where where it was that it wasn't so great. Every time you get a chance to, to do anything in an airplane, it's a learning opportunity or a, a chance to perform at your best so um that's kind of the approach i try to take to it i try to make it um a moment for self-improvement as opposed to a moment for being self-critical but um sorry you had to land on one eight right that's the wrong runway to land on in charlotte um we listen to requests for the east runway all day long <laughs> <laughs> not the west runway it seems like that's the one I always get, either that or three six left, which is the same runway. It's <laughs> the, the same runway. <laughs> yeah. It's usually three six left because it's almost always north off. So mm-hmm. it must have been really gusty winds out of the south or something that day, but all day long. Any chance of the right side? Any chance of the right mm-hmm. nope. Nope. On request. Nope. 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 Yeah. So how do you work through well, you know, Captain Nick, I, I don't think he's ever had a bad landing, so it's kind of a moot <laughs> point. 
I don't know. He's. I think he's the uh, only one here with back problems, right? Oh, that's, had to, well, that's true. Oh. That's had to be generated. <laughs> wow. by this has definitely just been like roast captain. Like just. <laughs> oh my God, he's gonna wish that's he had. Nick is gonna need therapy after this podcast. I am. That was from my experiences as a passenger. You know, but um, yeah, I, I one of my worst was uh, on a line check. Would you believe? So you know. No, that's what I mean. It's like when you're d trying to do yeah. your darndest to be your best. That's when it's the worst. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, I came in and I and I gave the usual back amount of backstick to flare the airplane, and it didn't. It hardly seemed to pitch, and I we walloped into the runway, uh, and uh, I I came very close to snagging the airplane in fact i wrote it up saying you know uh hard landing <laughs> something um, wrong with the airplane aircraft. yeah exactly right That's, that was my instant reaction and i got a call from the engineers on my way home uh, on the mobile and they said uh captain are you uh, sure you want to stick by that write-up you put and i said well and i explained what happened they said yeah but have you any idea what we're gonna have to do to this airplane uh, if we uh, if we check it out for what we what you've written, and I went, yeah, okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never mind. Perhaps it was. Perhaps you know what? We'll, was... Let, we'll let someone else take a chance with it and see what happens. Exactly. If they have the right. same experience, then they can. Perhaps write you it up need too. to put it up for a for a no fault found and uh, <laughs> and let someone else have a go. Uh, but um, yeah, you, every now and again you do it. You do what you think is right. You uh, and you get it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're all human, for heaven's sake. Yeah. yeah. Nick? I know Jeff, uh, Captain Jeff has spent a lot of money on therapy for this problem. So <laughs> yeah. we'll just skip Honestly, his, uh, no. um, it's it's only when uh, certain people in the APG community Are razz me cares? about, <laughs> yeah, Mike, especially uh, those Carol's? in the jump seat and, you know, causing all kinds of distractions in the cockpit. Um, and then somebody's yeah. videotaping it, Jen Niffer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then everybody razzing me about a landing that wasn't really that bad, actually. But uh, oh, yeah, but they're gonna tell you yeah, that anyway. Yeah. But uh, honestly, I you know I, I, if if I get that bad landing or not optimum landing, I kind of go you know it, it, what I do and what most of the people I fly with do is we'll say something like you know oh I think I flared a little bit too late or I flared too high or we kind of all analyze it almost immediately sometimes when we're still in the in the landing rollout yeah you're still rolling out and, and you're like, saying oh, oh I did shoot this. i think I, did I, I, I didn't you know i waited too long to flare or i flared too early that's usually the case for me i have to sometimes talk myself into keep it coming down keep it coming down and then flare you know a little bit later and then usually i'll roll those things on and of course the ones you roll on the passengers don't say a darn thing, which is amazing <laughs> nope, to me. I'm never. Thinking, what? Don't really? you make a funny PA and then, sometimes? Yeah, like so yeah, Liz was saying, don't you make a funny PA? On, uh, so if I really prang one on, I kind of diffuse it by ma making a PA like, oh, this is Captain Crash, uh, you know, from the <laughs> cockpit. And, you know, you, you want to really take uh, good care when you're opening those overhead bins today because sure <laughs> as you know it. what those things are going to be you know all Shifted. jumbled Your up stuff's all over the place yeah. like just yeah. and i find Sorry. that you know using humor to diffuse is really a helpful thing because there are some passengers that don't do a lot of flying and if they experience a more a firmer nice. landing than they are used to some people really get mad and they, they think that something was really unsafe tim um, van ram's confessing but, here 
Oh, Tim Van Ram is confessing. Dare we talk about backing out of the garage with the door closed? <laughs> did I did I tell everybody about that in my brand new one week old van? Yeah, back in nineteen ninety eight. Thank you. Not did. that I really yeah, remember much about it. The yeah, loser cruiser. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the loser cruiser. That's okay. <laughs> um, Sometimes I can tell. Well, at some point, I'll tell the story of the refrigerator that was in the garage that I destroyed. Uh oh. Also. Yeah. So, but did honestly, it have beer in it. <laughs> yeah. Did it have beer in it? Liz asks. Only peaches. Lots. Only of peaches. Okay. Well, no loss then. Uh, but anyway, um, so basically, we, we do get them the. Out. They went. They spoiled in there. Oh, that's no good. <laughs> so we do the. I usually do my self critique, and then you know, pull off the runway and on the taxiway, and I go, yeah. Oh, well, you know, new airplane, new day. I, I just, I, honestly, I shake it off and don't think about oh, well, it anymore. It's, it's all right for you. We, we long haulers, we used to have to wait like three weeks for our next landing. Oh, and you've got three weeks of uh, of sitting around going, oh, God, I wonder if I can get it right next yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. That's a, it's a, I, I live in a different world when, you know, we uh, on every trip I probably get at least I've got to go back landings. up like three minutes later. So. Yeah. 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 I was, yeah. was yeah. going to make that point. Captain Nick, is that like one of my favorite things to do, especially in the Luscombe, because that, that airplane is kind of challenging to land. So I just love going out and doing pattern work and, you know, doing landings. And I could go out and do eight or 10 landings in an hour or whatever. But the nice thing there is if you do a really bad one, then you're right back at it and you get to go correct it right away. And I was just going to say, like, it would be miserable to end on a bad landing and be like, oh, man, I'm going to live with well, three weeks before I get another Exactly. That, you see, that's why I'm mentally disturbed. Ah, I mean, that's that's it. Put it down to it. Now we know. Uh, but, I mean, Nick, in, in the same vein, uh, you you don't get to fly Be Betty's Biscuit Bomber very often. And mm -hmm. when you do get your hands on it and get a chance to do a landing, I mean – it must be awful if it doesn't go particularly well. Yeah, it does. And, you know, the problem for me there, and I think I've mentioned it a couple of times, is just that it's such a different experience for me than all of the other airplanes I fly. Everything else I fly, I'm touching down, you know, three or four feet above the ground. And so the sight picture, whether it's my debonair or the Luskin, the sight picture is close. There's a little bit of changes. And then you get in the C-47, and it's uh, the sight picture is just so much different that it changes the changes all the geometry of the flare and everything um you know the the first time i ever made a landing in that airplane um i and this is not an exaggeration we were coming i'm coming down short final coming down had it pretty stabilized and everything and i am starting to you know how you're like flying you're like all right i'm gonna get a good stable final here i'm gonna bring it down and then you're like all right i'm gonna think about the flare i'm gonna try to start flaring there all right here we go it's time to start flaring and then you start flaring I was in like the just starting to think about the flare when the wheels hit the ground <laughs> and the airplane hit the ground so hard that I almost kind of went into shock for a second <laughs> and it just kind of, and it bounced back up into the air and I was just in shock for a second and Sherman is sitting next to me, you know Sherman and um, yep. he's just, uh, he doesn't say anything, he's just over there kind of looking at me and he's got, at this point he's got like one hand on the yoke and then... Um, you know, we got, yeah, I got it kind of straightened up and I got it slowed, slowed down and everything down, down to the end of the runway. And he just looked at me and he was like, I thought you were just going to kind of give up there for a minute. That wouldn't have <laughs> been well for you at all. <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, I was thinking about it myself. Yeah. Giving up is a, um, is a real thing. 
you yeah. you kind of get uh, <laughs> on on airliners. Oh. You know, you get you get to the sometimes you just get used to doing these things over and over and over again, and you go and especially when the when the landing conditions are are not. Like you don't have a big crosswind or something like you're not really fighting the weather and you're just like, you're not working hard. You're not working hard and you kind of go, okay, I kind of flare. Okay. I give up. And then boom, when you kind of get in that rut, then you have to kind of convince yourself, you don't give up, keep working until the thing is on the ground, you know, continue flying, continue flying. Well, yeah. Continue flying even after it's on the ground. Uh Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. And I I always get my best landings when conditions are not great. Like really super high gusty winds, gusty like variable all over the place, right? And you're just really focused on getting get it on the ground as you know without crashing. Flying the airplane, you're like, I have to continue flying this airplane, otherwise I'm going to be in the trees over there. Yeah, you're quite right, Jeff. On on a day when it's easy, I'm often in my mentally, I'm in my car going down the M25 on the way home, Mm -hmm. and I'm still on short final. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, because I'm thinking, oh, yeah, it should be an easy ride home. I'll go home and I'll do this and I'll see the wife and pat the dog and bang. Oh, (laughs) Oh, you're a little ahead of yourself. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm still fine. Yeah, I'm still in the airplane. Okay, number 15. Uh, Great discussion about uh, hard landings. And thank you, Brad, for uh, bringing it up. Number nine. Um, Yeah, I hope that helps. Brad, you sound like a a CLT local. Let me know if you... Yeah, we need to do a Charlotte uh, meetup sometime. For sure. It'll be a lot of fun. I'd I'd love to meet Mm -hmm. you. All right, uh, Greg, this is the last one. Uh, Number nine. Uh, Greg Peterson, our big-ass fan in uh, Lexington, Kentucky. He goes, he says, Really? People will do anything to get attention. This is from avweb.com. And uh, the article's uh, headline is Pilots Hope to Swap Planes in TV Stunt. Okay, so uh, two pilots will attempt to swap airplanes in, a, in flight in a made-for-TV stunt that will air live on April 24th, which is uh, later this month. Um, according to the Hollywood Reporter Red Bull Air Force member, Luke Akins and his cousin, Andy Farrington, will take a pair of Cessna 182s to 14,000 feet and push them into synchronized dives. The autopilots in the aircraft have been rigged to hold the aircraft in vertical dives with the help of custom air brakes that fold out from the belly, according to the showbiz publication. They will then cut the engines, exit their aircraft, and maneuver to the others in time to restart the engines, recover from the dive, and land. The stunt is called Plane Swap and will be covered live on Hulu in the U.S. and on Red Bull TV at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on April 24th. Uh, This is a quote from Akins. It's the pinnacle of my career and my goal is to inspire the world and show that anything is possible. Uh, It says uh, this name might ring a bell as the guy who did a free fall without a parachute into a big net for a live TV stunt in 2016. Yeah, I remember that. That was pretty impressive, actually. Uh, Farrington is also described as an experienced skydiver. You can set your mind on something that at times seems wild, crazy, and unattainable, but through ambition and creativity, you can make it happen, he told the publication. So, okay, so is this a crazy stunt, or is this ridiculous, or what? I don't know what to make of this. It's interesting. Meh. No, just kidding. 
<laughs> um, actually, just to back up for a second, I actually think those two guys are cousins. I read that somewhere. Um, yeah, they say right here. I think that's uh, correct. And oh, cousin it, Andy that? Farrington, yeah. Yeah, okay, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, yeah, it's right there. Um, she was already going, uh, driving down the M25. <laughs> so I think they're actually going to um, kill the engine on these when they do this for the dive, but um, another uh, C-182 jump pilot I was talking to is like, hmm, sounds like a great way to shot cool the engine. Um, mm. But... I was thinking, yeah, if you if you if you uh, overshoot a little bit and the engine's running, that's not good. Stop it! Not good. Yeah, no, I mean, you <laughs> yeah. don't. You definitely don't want that problem. You want the propeller not, doing not this. spinning. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't. I don't think they're worried about the engines. No, stuff. I don't think so. With the amount of budget well, they spent well, on the, this Well, then the next the next comment was uh, Red Bull has deep pockets. So mm-hmm. yeah, who cares? Um, no, I mean, I, I have no doubt that they're going to be able to pull off what they're intending to do. I think they've probably already put a lot of training and time and effort into figuring out how to do this correctly. These guys are exceptionally experienced skydivers and pilots, and they have a lot of experience doing, um, um, not this exactly, but it, you know, things with transferable skills. So I'm excited to watch it. I think it's going to work out for them. Where are they um, doing this? It'll be, they're doing it over the water somewhere. I know, but I mean, um, is it like in the U S somewhere or, yeah, yeah, off the coast of California. Yeah. I oh, okay. yeah, yeah. I think over the Pacific somewhere. Okay. Um, yeah. Not 100% sure. Yeah, I'm but. hoping it will be over um, an unpopulated area just in case they don't I mean, if they don't it. get back into the, it's, it'll be in the water well, they have for sure. Fire extinguishers the, in their pants? the airplane. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, either way, it's going to be an, an interesting stunt to watch or a nice um, <laughs> C182 crashing into the ocean. So Liz asks a very be. important question. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Steph. No. Do you think they'll have uh, fire extinguishers in their pants? <laughs> Since they're over the water, I'm not. So I guess sure you probably don't need about it. the post-crash fire. <laughs> they can they can forgo that right. you know essential piece of equipment this time around. Ashes on board. <laughs> now presumably they are going to have parachutes. Oh yeah, 100. Hope so. Yeah. Well, well you say 100, percent but I mean that one guy this is jumped out and didn't have that, one. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This yeah, is but he also had a giant net set up that he was planning on. <laughs> but they don't have giant nets for and this. There have been guys no. who oh. jumped out nets. without parachutes and made a mid-air rendezvous and received their parachutes to complete a safe landing. So, yeah, that was, you know, um, yeah, that guy's crazy too. Um, it, it wouldn't have surprised me if these guys had done it without parachutes, but mm-hmm. no, that'll I'm, be probably their next one once they I could be wrong, run. but... Um, I'm 99% sure they have parachutes yeah. for this one. They're, they're now, the, the only thing I have against this uh, is the fact that there's absolutely no reason for doing it whatsoever other than to make money. And uh, ratings, I just man. To think it's... That's, a, that's a perfectly legitimate reason. <laughs> that's the I reason. I was, was going to say, that's the, that's the main reason it. that most yeah. people do things do anything. in this yeah. world. Make money. <laughs> And, you know, they've gone through, they've gotten the appropriate permissions to do this. Um, you know, is it good role modeling for people who <laughs> might not make so, such good decisions yeah. in their lives? Perhaps not. To make those people this, feel this, even better just about their bad decisions. so much like, like Russian YouTubers who stick fireworks <laughs> up their trousers. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just think kind of YouTube well, this is completely watch? pointless <laughs> and sends entirely the wrong... Well, let me ask. Let me ask you this question. What kind of YouTube channels are you subscribed to? Let me me just ask you this question, Nick. Are you going to watch it? No. Well, it's probably going to be pushed in front of my face whether I want to watch it or not. So you're going to watch it. But I certainly won't 
uh, go, oh, it's April the 24th at 7 p.m. ETD. I'm going to turn the telly on and watch I'll it. I'll send you a text to uh, remind no, you. No, I won't. <laughs> I mean, that's only midnight. That's midnight for you. I'll make sure that you're awake. That's fine. No, no, that's okay. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'm turning my phone off. You cannot call me. I'll text you. Yeah. It, it does seem kind of ridiculous. <laughs> She's going to be really impressed when you wake up at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> oh is, this, is this a necessary thing? No. Um, you know, is anything that Evil Knievel ever did necessary? Mm. No. Mm. Is it fun to watch? Well, yes. I, I have exactly the same attitude to Evil Knievel's efforts, <laughs> quite honestly. <laughs> Party pooper. Yeah. Seriously. All right. Seriously. Well, let's see. What I, I'm ha- excited. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. That's. I'll put that out there. Yeah, I. Th- yeah. I think you just have to be careful about where you when you know when you start drawing lines like that right like i my personal feeling about this thing is uh parachutes make me nervous in general so like regular skydiving i have trouble (laughs) balancing the risk ratio and uh, jeff and i were talking about this while he was here and i know single engine airplanes also don't make a lot of sense a lot of times when you're talking about risk you know but when you start saying like this is not necessary um you know like 90 percent of the flying i do is not necessary and it increases the general risk level of my life, but I'd be bummed if somebody was like, "You shouldn't do that, or you can't do that." Yeah. Well, when you get in an airliner, there there is a risk, uh, right. but it, it's it's relatively low, and the same would apply in your GA flying and in, in a lot of things in life. The risk in this maneuver is not generally sure. considered to be low. But this so is not something. At some point, you go. There, there's a line here which you shouldn't cross. Yeah. Sure, Going I, over Niagara Falls in a barrel would be above that Is that, that a bad line. idea? I, I would have to think about... Um, <laughs> so I think that the risk of these guys praying in equipment up and everything is probably much higher than normal. Um, but if they have parachutes and everything on, I, I don't know how much higher the risk is of this stunt versus... Uh, like flying a single engine piston airplane into minimums, I, I, IFC, I, IMC minimums on a regular basis. That's crazy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, you know, I mean, there's, you look at all the relative risk of these things. Here's how I approach this. These guys are guys who this is, this is the career that they've chosen. You know, they're um, well, trying to stunt, kill themselves. Stunt professionals. <laughs> let's just say that. I mean, if you want, you, you can use that term professional, however you'd like, but stunt, um, performers um, who have a lot of experience flying aircraft, but also skydiving, and I, you know, I guarantee you they have taken all of those risks into account, and they've made their decision on it. This is not something that anybody that I know who is a casual sport jumper on the weekend, or even, you know, um, someone who's a, a an avid GA pilot is going to go out and attempt to recreate or do. It's just not what we're interested in. Um, but for these guys, this is their livelihood. This is part of their profession. They're going to get paid to do this. So um, that's how I look at it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, I agree. And, and there, there's a great history of this sort of uh, spectacular event. I mean, Houdini used to do it, and he got killed. People have uh, done all sorts of things where they've been killed doing this sort of thing. 
whether it be tightrope walking, you know, across Niagara or whatever. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I can understand it. But this kind, it's... Hmm, uh, I don't want to see it be a party pooper. It's probably my age that makes me think that uh, this is really a little bit uh, over the top and unnecessary. But I wish them well, and I hope, please, that they come back safely. Yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. I can see both sides of the argument, actually. I think I think we all do. But uh, it'll, it will be interesting to see, I guess. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to end this now. We're a little bit uh, beyond our normal show length, uh, a little bit on the long side, but uh, I thought it was, uh, That's it was what she good. Said. That, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> she was right. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sad in a way because there's a, a few, there are a few pieces of feedback that we've been you know, shuffling on to the next show, to the next show, including um, Mike uh, has an interesting article about uh, the water treatment at the Buffalo International Airport or de-icing, excuse me, de-icing, but water, uh, the treatment of the de-icing fluid in there. uh, It's pretty cool. Um, uh, we need to do that in the middle of the summer, Jeff. Okay. Um, (laughs) give it another few weeks. It'll be perfect. Yeah, that's true. It'll be perfect weather. Yeah. But talking about DIC. So Phil sent in some stuff. Spencer has an update on his uh, progress, his flight progress, uh, and uh, a lot more, including uh, some feedback from Andrew regarding his flight progress, which is pretty exciting. Sorry, Andrew, we're going to have to push it to the next one. Kerry, also an update on his uh, aviation journey, and Brian has some interesting aviation FAA regulation news, uh, tongue-in-cheek. Anyway, lots of uh, lots of good stuff that we are going to carry on into the next show. And so if you're out there wondering if we're ever going to play it, yeah, we will. Uh, we'll get around to it eventually. So stay tuned, stand by and all that. Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to tell you, we're going to point you over to the AirlinePilotGuy.com website where you'll find all kinds of stuff. And we're not going to go into uh, great detail yeah. there. Just visit it and find out what's there. Uh, you'll be surprised, I think. Um, we are also on the social meds and, uh, Steph, would you like to tell us about, uh, all that stuff? Sure. I'm still here. So let's do it. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Facebook. <laughs> if you oh, want to leave, okay. go ahead. We'll do it. We'll come. No, it's fine. We had talked about me leaving early, but no, I'm, I'm glad I got yeah. to stick around with you guys for the entire show. It's been, it's been yeah, a we're glad you did too. Um, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. That's where you can find us on Facebook and most of our, uh, great community. We're also on Twitter. We're at APG crew and find our individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of that page. Instagram is APG crew and um, if you really want to get into the weeds of things, Hillel will tell you all about Slack. Oh, he will. Let's see. Yeah, sure enough. He's here up at the cabin. Without fail. Hey. Hey. Hillel, can, can you tell us about Slack? Fire in the hole! Uh, oh, maybe not. Uh, okay. Uh, can you can you do that later? All right. Tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or 
send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right, thanks, Hillel. We appreciate it. flushing, but it's still in there, Jeff. Um. Oh, please. <laughs> oh, save us. <laughs> thanks. That- TMI. <laughs> All right. Wow. Yeah, he's a good guy. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> it's a small cabin, isn't it? It is. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So I need sorry. to get out of here quickly. Uh, so let's uh, go ahead and thank uh, Liz Piper, our producer, Yay, for Liz. all the hard work she does. Thank you, Liz. Making us look Welcome. smart, or sort of. And yeah, kind of. Much appreciated. We are so smart. And, uh, SMRT. Pardon me? I said, we are so smart. Yes. S-M-R-T. S-M-R-T. Uh, <laughs> what about the A? Um, yeah, I guess that's the whole point of that. Um, Carry on. Yes. And uh, we're going to sign off and wish you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. See you later. Bye, everybody. I wouldn't go in there for a while, Captain. Good day. Just fine. Airline.